Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing the assassination of Gianni Versace, American crime story. And to do that, we are joined by special guest Lauren Jankowskis. How are you, Lauren? Hi, I'm great. Is that okay? Yeah. Jankowskis? Yeah. Yes, good, I got there. Um, <laughs> I just pronounce it Smith, so. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren Smith. Uh, thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. That's good. Um, you're excited to talk about uh, Gianni Versace? Or his assassination? Uh, <laughs> yeah, less about Versace, more about the assassination. More about yeah, the assassination. Either way, barrel of laughs. So yeah, yeah tons of fun. <laughs> All right, we'll get straight into it with off topic, hot topic. Off topic, hot topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. So first up, as always, on off topic, hot topic. Brian Fuller, watch Zilcho. Nothing happened this week. Oh. Um, but headlines. We've got a lot of headlines. First up, Infinity War scores the biggest opening weekend of all time. So that's not TV news, obviously. But um, I'm bringing that up mainly because we talked for 40 minutes. I think it was. Yeah, about it Infinity was a War. lot longer than I thought it was. <laughs> that was a big yeah. bonus bit on the mm. last episode of Hunting Seasons. Uh, so it ended up making, as far as I can tell, and this may still change a little bit because they seem to revise this a little bit as the week goes on. 257 dollars $258,183 in three days in the US, um, which is including Thursday previews. So that's Thursday previews, Friday, right. Saturday, and Sunday. The previous record holder of this was Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens with two hundred and forty-seven point nine million. So it's beating it by nearly ten million dollars. What was the one? Do you know the one before that? Uh, before that, in opening weekend grosses, uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and then The Last Jedi actually. To oh right, is the one immediately before that. Oh, but if you're going back in time, it looks like oh yeah, Jurassic World was there, and then Avengers before that. Right. And then okay. the next one on the list is Black Panther. So basically of Marvel. those, I think <laughs> I think actually if you look at the stats, Disney. of the top 10 top grossing uh, op- or top grossing films or opening weekends, Marvel, uh, I mean, Disney owns nine of them, I'm pretty sure. I think Jurassic World is the only exception, which is look, ridiculous. Disney are keying themselves up to be our overlords. I'm kind of okay with it. The, the bit I loved was on Twitter. Um, there was a post from... The crew at Star Wars, and was like an image of like Ray handing the lightsaber over to like Iron Man sort of thing. Right. And it's oh, like no. congratulations, Marvel, <laughs> on on your box office success. And it's like congratulations, Disney. Oh, thanks, Disney. It was <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Are any of those movies in the top ten not franchises? No, they're, they're absolutely all franchises. It's all just franchise obligation to just. It yeah. doesn't matter how it is. We'll just, yeah. We just it's have to go, go and say, yeah. yep, absolutely. Loyalty. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's what. We no longer have, have religion, become. so that like 
Marvel might be someone's denomination or <laughs> Star Wars is someone else's. Well, yeah. there's, but there's, there's some truth to that. The idea, this gets talked about a lot. People want to poo-poo like superhero films word, by and the stuff way. like poo-poo. poo-poo. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, like superhero films just being fluff and garbage and all those sorts of things. But there's, there's an argument to be made that this is modern myth-making. Like the characters and the situations are so big and so broad and so over the top that it's almost like you're old you know homer's odyssey or the iliad yeah. or something like that your old epics mm. this is what we the stories we gather around and consume as a society now now whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is up <laughs> yeah. to debate but i like sort of trying to uh trying to legitimize it in that way somehow mm. and go ah we've been doing this for ages this is just the new version yeah of that. that's what i'm going to tell people now when i'm like oh well i'm a marvel fangirl but it's okay because it's just like homer's <laughs> so it's, fine. it's exactly the same exactly it's just yeah, classic yeah. literature really <laughs> uh the simpsons finally triumphs over its long-running tv nemesis gunsmoke so does this make sense to you I don't know what Gunsmoke is, but I'm Neither assuming it was I. a long-running TV show. I thought that might be the case. So I'm going to quote um, William Hughes here from the AB, AV Club for his article. Uh, Smashing through a record that literally only ever comes up these days in the context of how long The Simpsons has been on the air, the canonically long-running Fox show is finally about to break Gunsmoke's 635-episode hold on the title for longest-running scripted primetime series ever. For context, Gunsmoke was a TV western that first aired in 1955 as part of efforts to ensure that there would someday be some kind of old-timey series that The Simpsons could destroy. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was a, a 1950s uh, serialised television show that ran for ages. Right. Um, I saw. I don't know if this is true or a joke, but someone was saying, like, its its poster was basically, there's only one network, what else would you be watching? <laughs> like, So, for it to be going on for this long, mm-hmm. we wonder how... Um, do you think that now that the Simpsons have reached that milestone, they might they, die? They're like, quit? okay, we can go now. Well, this was kind of the reason I brought this up because yes, it's a monumental feat. Who gives a shit at the moment, though? Yeah. Like, <clears> and maybe I say that cynically because I don't watch The Simpsons anymore. Lauren, do you watch The Simpsons anymore? I watched it pretty religiously for the first thirteen seasons, mm-hmm. and I think that's where most people kind of dropped yeah. off and then just kept rewatching those seasons. Yeah. Um, but. Beyond that, it feels like it's lost what it was originally setting out to do and it feels like it's just trying to hit a milestone before it can just disappear. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I haven't watched it in a million years. I would have no idea what is happening in The Simpsons right now, Um, other than the whole Apu thing. Well, which is something we've talked about. I've discussed bringing up on the podcast and Off Topic, Off Topic a couple of times, but Mm. we sort of haven't got there. We've been too busy. Have you seen much of that stuff? Yeah, yeah. I watched The Problem with Apu Mm. and I... I mean, it's all it makes total sense. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. so many characters in The Simpsons that are based on stereotypes mm-hmm. and especially racial stereotypes and female stereotypes. And it is a show that is a product of its time. Um, but that, that time was like 20 years ago. Like <laughs> yeah. that time was in the 90s. And I think it hasn't kept up with no. with societal yeah, trends. I think it's like it's kept – it felt – it's. I think the creators probably feel like they've kept up because of their pop culture references, which is pretty, it's yeah. just like, it seems to be a pop culture reference machine, but like actually culturally um, has not kept up at all. Yeah. Which is what I love so much about the the first few seasons of The mm. Simpsons is that it is so rooted in like, American culture and society yeah. and family dynamics yeah. but also like kind of subverting that in the way Satirizing, that kind of like, yeah, yeah. like Roseanne and stuff did as yeah. well yeah. yeah it's 
it's been really interesting, actually. I'll, I, I want to reference everyone and go and go and check out um, a, a video essay series of which there's three parts, but only two are released as of recording this episode by a guy named Movie Bob, who I find really good. He some people find him a bit pretentious and overbearing. He's got a really um, full-on style in terms of how he talks. He just sort of like talks a million miles an hour, but his points are pretty well articulated. And he's been talking about this problem with the poo thing in the context of The Simpsons is very unique in the sense that we don't have shows that have been running for 30 years straight, mm. where often we can look back at something and say, like, we look at uh, the... We were talking about this the other day, that... Mm. Um, the stereotyping or the racially insensitive caricatures that were done in old films like, is it Breakfast at Tiffany's or one of those yeah. ones? Yeah. Um, who was <laughs> yeah. that? Mickey, Mickey Rooney. Rooney. Thank you. I was going to say Mickey Rourke. I'm like, no, that's That's wrong. what I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. which is why I was stalling. <laughs> Mickey Rooney. Thank you, Lauren. And he, uh, he was talking about, well, that's interesting because we can look back at that and just say, oh, it's a great movie, but that was problematic. But you don't have to change that because mm. you just say it's an artifact of its time. The Simpsons, because it has persisted through and is still being made, we can look back at stuff that's happened in the early, late 80s, early 90s and go, oh, well, that's problematic then. It wasn't something that we were talking about, but now we are. And this is still happening. It's still the same white man playing this character. It's still, what do we do about this? And it's a very unique problem. I, I find that interesting. I think it's also their reluctance to make any changes to it. They're so, I mean, it's in um, the problem with Apu. They're so set in their ways and they're really sticking to their guns rather than being open to ideas of how to make the show more interesting because they need the ratings. The ratings yeah. aren't as good as they used to be. They don't seem to be wanting to even have a new audience yeah. to keep the show running. It's interesting when we have things like South Park. I mean, South Park's been running for a, a long time, not as long, but how they have managed to, while they've always kind of critiqued what's happening in the culture at the time, I, maybe that's helped them be able to keep ahead of things a little bit. But, I mean, they don't, you know, they don't have a character like Chef it, anymore, though. I mean, That was more forced out because the actor died than anything else. Like, Yeah, yeah, but I mean... They've got shitty walk and stuff like that. Like, they have lots of... <laughs> yeah, but it's also like... In saying that, because South, because of how South Park is, it's often critiquing those things. You know what I mean? Like it's so over the top that it's not a direct. This is what Indian people are, or this is what actual Asian people are like. Yeah, and that's the what's really interesting about that is that's the same defense that that's come at the Simpsons. Is that oh they do this about everybody? They lambast everybody, so it's but that's not it's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's not true. The Simpsons. Oh, sorry, of South Park anymore either because they are choosing actively to not talk about Trump at the moment. And they're getting a lot of criticism for that, that um, Matt and Trey are sort of like, oh, we just don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, and they did saying, well, a couple cowardly. of seasons ago. But before it, he was the president. Yeah, it was States. during the election yes. and it was terrible. Yes. It was v- it was really bad. So I think it's, it's fine for a creative team to be like, we can do that, but we can't do it effectively. So I don't think the show needs it, it, to be about that. But if you're choosing to be selective... When it's such a big part of what's happening in the United mm. States at the moment, like, are you still? Is it everything fair game still? If you're choosing to not do something, but I'm so saying relevant? like they tried to do it and failed. There was, so like, it's not like they didn't do it. But I think there's so much media around Trump and so many parodies and satires mm. of Trump that it it seems kind of a, it, it, you don't need 
another version of that to keep giving it voice. But there's so many offsets of Trumpism mm. that can still be addressed and are still rooted in the culture that you can satirize yeah. and play with. That's definitely true. It's more that there's a lot of also, I think this is the argument against South Park at the moment, so many of the attitudes that have come with Trumpism in terms of like political correctness, gone mad mm. and all that mm. sort of stuff comes from the Simpsons. Oh, sorry, it comes from South Park. So a lot of people point to South Park and go, well, this is, they've been making the argument for Trumpism for a long time in some ways. And you can argue that's not true either. Again, Mm. I think they've been, but I haven't watched South Park since like the 90s, early 2000s, right? right? So it's hard to know exactly where it's been at recently. I I think saying that like South Park is like, has been a part of like, or has helped Trumpism in a way is is so simplistic. (laughs) And like, it's not to say that a lot of audience members might watch South Park and see those things in there? Sure, totally. Um, but that's one reading of it. And I, again, like I said, I think it's a very simplistic reading of what they're, the stories they're telling on South Park. Sure. And coming back to The Simpsons for a second as well in terms of the uh, poo problem, the other thing that that uh, Movie Bob talks about is when we talk about how unique The Simpsons is in terms of its long-runningness, it's also the fact that it's gone through huge behind-the-scenes changes in terms of who's running the show. Mm. So we talk about, you know, we remember The Simpsons that first 10 to 13 seasons as being the good seasons, right? But over that 30 years, it's had so many different writers come in. Yeah, it got crap in like season 14 onwards or whatever, but we haven't returned to it to see if it got better again. Yeah, that's true. They've had a whole other audiences now, generations under us or, or a generation. <laughs> generation. <laughs> generation. But, but their audience now is yeah. just a different audience. Like it's it's really interesting to, to try and examine that show. And in terms of what you were saying, Lauren, as well, about how the creators aren't engaging with this discussion around a poo, it's true and not true, weirdly enough, because some people are and some people aren't. Recently, Harris Shearer kind of came out and well, after a lot of, inaction mm. has said oh it's it i would be up to changing it but it's not up to me I which i think is it harry shearer or hank azaria sorry uh hank azaria because i think they've both come out and said things i'm pretty sure harry shearer has come out to defend Who's harry shearer harry shearer is the other is the two they're the two ones who do a lot of the voices oh okay right um yeah. i can't couldn't tell you which one does which off the top of my head but i'm pretty right, sure it's okay. hank azaria who does a poo who voices yeah. right. hank azaria definitely does a poo harry shearer does a bunch of other voices. Go on. He sorry, was like, you sorry, sorry Lauren. Stuff. Yeah. Hank Azaria, yeah, recently um, after, yeah, a lot of attempts to contact him and ask for an interview and ask for an opinion mm-hmm. has finally said, yeah, I'd be willing to workshop this character into something different, even if it means maybe even giving up the role, but it's not up to me. It's up to producers, which mm. I think is a little bit of a cop-out um, and puts it back on producers, which they have also stood by this character and this show. One of the things also that, oh, there's, there's so many elements, it's been a really interesting evolving story. I'm glad we've got to this finally actually, was I think one of the things he said as well is he'd like to see more diversity in the writer's room. Like that, yeah. And I think that's a very good point. That's something that they could really help as well, Absolutely. having authentic voices in there when they're mm. ha- going to have characters like Apu in there. Yeah. Yeah, he did sort of suggest that he would step out of the role if that was the decision that was made to do that. Um, and then Harry Shearer, on the other hand, uh, like a week or two earlier was sitting there defending Hank Azaria as though he was being attacked for this. Whereas <laughs> Hank Azaria, yeah. I thought, did a – it was very like, as you said, um, protected language, but he was at least addressing the argument and addressing that there was legitimate concerns, yeah. which was a good step. And then Matt Groening comes out this week and says, oh, everyone just wants to be – just likes being um, outraged. And it's like, well – 
come on, guy, you're like the name of The Simpsons. What are you doing? Mm. Yeah. It's so frustrating to see this. Yeah, yeah. it is really frustrating, especially – and Nancy Cartwright as well has come out in, in full support of the documentary. Oh, really? Um, of yeah. she has. Which no, is, she has, yeah, a, lot, she has a lot of power here. I mean, mm. she could She's be putting excellent. her foot down this, yeah. Um, but, it, it, yeah, it's it's it feels like they don't want to engage with – what the audience are asking for. Mm. Yeah. And that's your responsibility as a producer. Just, I mean, if you want to keep your show going for this long, like why else other than to please your audience and entertain your audience? And obviously this is something that you could have a whole new section of your audience mm. coming in and watching this show when you, your ratings aren't great at the moment and it seems like a lot of episodes are like the Lady Gaga episodes probably a couple of years old now, but mm. a few of them seem like almost clickbait to try and get attention. Absolutely. I mean, well, that's this article on the gun smoke thing is totally that. And the, the thing that I, yeah, there's so many elements to this. It's frustrating because they should, they should totally understand how culturally relevant they are. Even if mm. the show's not as big as it once was, mm. everyone still references the Simpsons constantly, constantly. And so you've got to understand that a poo is important. And then to do something like, did you see the clip of what happened a couple of episodes ago? where they did address the Abu, Apu thing inside the show a little oh, bit. Oh, it broke my heart. Yeah. yeah, right. How much of a cowardly non-thing was that? That was so... And to put it in the voice of Lisa Simpson, of Lisa. who is like <laughs> the one character that would be in total support of this documentary yeah. and getting more diverse writers in the room and working yeah. with the character, to put it in her voice mm-hmm. seemed like a real statement from the Simpsons to say, we're, like, we're not changing. Yeah. And you're the one that's wrong. Absolutely, yeah. It, it seemed... So and that's the problem, though. It's disingenuous to the character. It's like yeah. you're throwing your own characters under the bus to try and placate this yeah. discussion. It's so cowardly. Maybe they just wanted to show that Lisa Simpson, while well, a feminist, is not an intersectional feminist. Maybe that was the character. <laughs> Maybe, <choice>. yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. But also, she made it, in the statement was something about the writing and that mm. how do you keep it original after all of these years? And it seemed like that in itself was a piece of lazy writing. Yeah. yeah like that is, that yeah. is your job. How are you claiming that like keeping characters exactly the same is somehow going to make your work more original? It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like if you're going to be writing for a billion years and you need to be evolving yeah. as yeah. a writing stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, we want to move on from this, but I do just want to say, if you want to check out this uh, video series by Movie Bob, um, it's called In Bob We Trust, A Poo Trilogy and just look those up and I highly recommend people do. They're about, they go for about 15 minutes each and I they're really good. I love a good video good. essay. Oh, me he, he does really good ones. Yeah. He's done great stuff. If you want to see someone go real deep on something, mm. yeah. uh, he does, a, 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 I think it's like a three-part essay called Really That Bad. He usually does a series called Really That Good defending films about how good they are. He did one version called Really That Bad about Batman versus Superman that is like four (laughs) hours long and it's fantastic. I love everything about that. All right. Uh, The Crown's Claire Foy to receive $275,000 in back pay. I leave bring this up because we've talked about this controversy a few times mm-hmm. on the show now, Damask. We have. How do we feel about this little victory? Uh, That's pretty sweet. It's pretty pretty cool. This is the this is what you got to get out there yeah. and protest. I wonder what she's going to buy with it. <laughs> what do you, what? Probably a bunch of high heels and purses. That's what ladies buy, right? Yeah. Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, doesn't like it when I'm sexist? But you just I just get I get constantly <laughs> accused of it on air. So I'm just trying to make sure that uh, you know, oh, this yeah, is fair um, balance. In case you didn't know. Lauren, Broad yeah. hates women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. All that's that's a theme of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the idea is this, this $275,000 is a 
difference in her pay that Matt Smith had over her, basically. And they're mm. now with everything that's going on, all the talk around it, the uh, the producers have come out and paid her that money back. So that's or paid good. her that money to make up for it, which is great. And she earned it. Shouldn't be a problem, you would think, for. Um, Who's running into the role next as Queen? As uh, the Queen, um, Olivia. Olivia. No, Olivia Coleman. That's Thank it. You. Thank you. How can I forget her name? Have you watched any of The Crown? I haven't watched any of The Crown. Yet. I found out apparently. And sorry, you probably should. Yeah. Yeah. I found out the other day. Apparently, it's the most expensive series ever made. That can't be true. I was ever like Game made. of Thrones. Apparently, apparently ahead of Game of Thrones somehow. That's I don't believe that. But it, and then has been beaten since by the announcement that the Lord of the Rings stuff for Amazon's going to cost way, 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 oh, way more. Gosh. How is it the most expensive <laughs> yeah, show ever made? That. And it's not paying. Are they actually like leads? <laughs> Are they hiring out Buckingham Palace? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going exactly on. how it's going. All right, I have one more news story for you, and this one appeared. I was just going to bed. I was getting my notes ready before mm. we recorded today. I was like, I'll just check Twitter one more time, and this showed up. I got really excited, maybe a bit too excited at the moment. We'll see what your reaction is, but I'm looking forward to this. Arrested Development, Netflix to release new version of season four. Oh, I did Ooh. see that. Oh, okay. It Whoa. Didn't, it didn't excite me. Oh. It doesn't excite you at all? <laughs> I haven't seen this, but a new version of season four right. or a season five? No, no, a new version of season oh, four. Oh, now, sorry, I read it as season five. No, no, oh, no, no. wait. So there's a few things going on here that we need to explain. So, so yeah. Arrest Development originally ran on whatever network it was. Can't remember now off the top of my head. Oh, anyway, can I? Doesn't matter. Because uh, we had to wait for the DVDs. Yeah, so that's why we don't watch remember. DVDs. That's it, exactly. For three seasons and then was cancelled and then was resurrected by Netflix. This is their mm. some of their first original Netflix programming. Yeah. And I remember we got very excited. We were so excited. So yeah. excited about that coming <laughs> we back. We woke up. We were, well, I particularly was very hungover. It was like 9am or something and you trudged me over to a friend's house just so we could watch it. That's right. Because they were the only person with Netflix. That's right. Yeah. So they were like using a VPN or something. Like, yeah. Doing stuff so we could watch, because <laughs> um, Netflix wasn't in Australia at the time, no. to watch season four of Rest Development. Anyway, season four comes out. Lauren, did you watch any of this? I did. I put off watching it for a while because I loved the original series mm. so much yes. and I had heard mixed reviews about <laughs> season four. So season four was interesting because they did a couple of things, a few things differently in a big way though. This wasn't the standard structure of 22-minute episodes. They were often much longer, up to like 40 minutes or something like that or sometimes. Or three days, or yeah. It felt like. <laughs> and they were also, rather than having all the characters in an episode together and sort of having... Um, these A, B, and C storylines, they were sort of individual character arcs. It'd be one episode that's mainly focused on Buster and another episode that's focused on um, Job or something like that. Mm. And mm. it would sort of, it was missing that, and it was for necessity, they couldn't get all the actors to be there at the same time to shoot it any other way. So they tried to do this almost anthology yeah. thing. I enjoyed their use of green screen. <laughs> and there's green screen to put some actors in the same room together and stuff like that. Mm. And it was a real big experiment that ultimately kind of failed. I remember we went, you were talking about this time, we went over to a friend's place yeah. and we watched like two episodes and like, oh, we've got to go guys, bye. And yeah. everyone was really excited and we left going, was that kind of shit? Yeah, I was I like, that, I think I'm still drunk. Yeah. That, I, that didn't make any sense so, to me. Something's wrong all. with me. I'm feeling yeah. bad about all of that. It made me feel sick. <laughs> it, it was one of those things where it was fun to see all the characters again mm. and you're like, oh, I get the reference. But like yeah. beyond that, it was it was so long. I was just yeah. confused by that first like episode or two. I was like, what the f- what is yeah, happening? Yeah, and it took you about half the season to realize yeah. that all the storylines were overlapping. And by mm. that time, you're like, I'm, I'm not I'm invested. so tired. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, a while back, there was this notion that Mitch Hurwitz was going to go 
and try and re-edit the series into a more standard 22-minute episode mm. season where they were mixing the storylines and doing it in chronological order rather than having these you know, overlapping storylines the way they were doing it, sorry, the original, um, the original way. Here's a quote. Uh, here's a quote from um, Dan Sneerson at Entertainment Weekly on yesterday's news. On Tuesday, or today, the day that we're reading this now, the official Arrested Development Twitter page posted an open letter to fans from series creator Mitch Hurwitz, who announced that his remix development will arrive on May 4th, as in in three days' time. Oh. Which he refers to as... The, the premature holiday the Bluth family know as Cinco de, Cinco de Cuatro. <laughs> <laughs> Released back in 2013. Each episode, See, that's funny that you we laugh at that because that was part of that season. Yeah, that's no, the one we don't like. It's, it's, anyway. It's, it's a solid joke though. Yeah. Released back in 2013, each of season four's 15 episodes focused on an individual character and experimented um, with a Roshaman style of storytelling, noted Hurwitz. The new version, titled Arrested Development Season 4 Remix, Fateful Consequences... <laughs> Reimagine season four as a 22-episode adventure with interwoven storylines, much like the original three seasons of the hyper-dysfunctional family comedy, which aired on Fox. Fox, there you go, from 2003 to 2006. <laughs> the goal was that by the end of a season, a unified story of cause and effect would emerge for the viewer, full of surprises about how the Bluths were responsible for most of their misery that, he, that had in, they had endured, explained Hurwitz of season four. In some ways, to be an experience for the viewer, perhaps akin to eating toast, then some bacon, maybe a sliced tomato followed by some turkey and realizing, hey, I think I just had a BLT. But in between season four and this upcoming season five, which is coming, mm. I had time to take the Roshaman type story and recut it, shuffling the content from 15 individualized stories into 22 interwoven stories, the length of the original series, as an experiment to find out, well, I guess if I could make some money. I mean, who am I kidding? I just want to syndicate eventually. <laughs> Hurwitz said that he also pursued it as a comic experiment uh, to see if new jokes and a new perspective would emerge from a remix that features all the blues in every episode and where the simultaneity of the story plays out chronologically. I probably said that wrong. I'm really excited about the final result. It's funny in a whole new way, and I believe it creates a really entertaining and hilarious new experience for the viewer. Okay. So I remember after season four came out, a friend of mine actually got like a fan edit where they put it together chronologically, and she said it was... Better, but it wasn't interwoven in the way that no, this I think one it was just to be. based. Yeah, it was yeah. just chronological. Mm-hmm. So this suggests that there could be a lot of creative changes here for stuff taken out, stuff really remixed to try and make them work as twenty-two minute episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by this. The fact that it's coming out in three days has me super excited. It also has me very cynical, right? Because the the idea it's like, oh my god, this is coming to you in two days, makes me go, everyone's going to rush to see it, and it's actually not that great. It uh, kind of begs the question, like, who is it for? Like, I well, it's for me who wants to love season four. <laughs> like, but we've like, is it going to add anything different? Are we going to see the same jokes, but it's not going to have the impact because we already kind of know what's coming? I mean, yes and no. But the thing is, I've like the thing about Arrest Development has always been that the more you watch it, the more you get out of it, right? Yeah. And I've always meant to go back and rewatch season four, mm. knowing where things go and understanding early on the way that the story's working. Yeah. So this makes me, this is like, I feel like I can finally do it with this new version. Which, yeah. And for them, I'm sure this is also great publicity for the fact that season five is coming out. Yeah. yeah. Like end of the year, next year or something like that. Mm. So that's on the way. So this is just another way of going, hey, Arrested Development, remember that? Catch up on the storyline before season five comes out. Yeah. Purely like fan rewatching purposes to get all of the jokes before season five comes out. It makes sense. That yeah. does make a lot of sense. And yeah. if it's good, well, then it'll catch fire and people who maybe yeah. avoided it like you were for a long time yeah. might get around to it as well. Mm. 
So I'm just... I saw that and was like, I can't believe this is actually happening because it went quiet for so long. Sorry, Domestic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think because while I was excited for, you know, a season five, mm. I probably wasn't going to go back and watch season four. Right. But yeah. now I actually will. So yeah. I think their plan has worked. Part of me kind of wanted to do it for the podcast, but now I think we're just, I'm going to try and watch it this week and we'll talk about it in Off Topic. Off-topic I also think week. like if we did podcasts about Arrested Development, it would just be like, ha ha, how funny was this bit? Ha ha, how funny was that bit? That's true. It's because hard. It's, just, it's just really funny and really good. Do, do you feel that way? We've been meaning to do The Office for a long time. You don't feel that's going to be the same way with The Office? No, or maybe a bit. I don't know. I've got, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard it's when hard it's about sitcoms. a com- It's really hard for a comedy. Really, really hard. So um, it's something that we should probably discuss off air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, moving on, Damask, uh, what else you got for us? Uh, so Michelle Wolf told a couple of jokes and oh, then the yes. world and shut I its pants. I love them. <laughs> they were so good. I watched it last night. You got the whole thing? Uh, no, I just I watched her a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. How long does that go for? Does that interest? About 20 minutes. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Um, and I was, I was waiting for the bit where it would be overly shocking or bad or anything it was just solid and funny it was so good i watched the white house correspondence dinner just the comedian every year and this was one of my absolute favorites Mm. she she started with jokes about herself yeah because she knew that she was playing to a room that needed to know that they were able to laugh at themselves yes and she threw herself under the bus first and no one noticed (laughs) and then she started telling jokes pretty evenly about left and right wing media and politicians absolutely but no one noticed (laughs) and she i was saying before she backed up most of her jokes with like kind of a fact like this is exactly how like Mm. this is a phrase that you've used before yes but now i'm reshaping and no one seemed to notice yeah like with that joke about Trump where she's like apparently he is the only pussy that you can't grab yeah like slightly like awkward pause (laughs) some chuckles in the audience and then she just goes he said that remember he said that like things like that where she was just like the joke is reality because this is the situation we're in yeah I haven't watched it but everything you're saying I've heard Mm, from everybody who's actually paid attention to it at all and the problem with this new story is that the story shouldn't have anything to do with Michelle Wolf. The story should be about the faux outrage that's come from this as an absolute bullshit distraction to try and high road these comedians, her and the mainstream liberal media or whatever you want to call it anyway. And it's it's ridiculous. And I've been engaging with people online about it. actually got some uh, tweets that have got a lot of attention more than they normally would for, <laughs> for a little, little old me. Um, based around this and i've gone to the point where i'm just like I, I won't engage with it anymore because it's all a ruse it's all just yeah it's 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 baloney. not based in reality yeah. yeah but the comedian is often playing to a room that they know they're not going to win the room mm. but they're playing to the people at home yeah yep. exactly. really um and i think t- especially twitter has really fed into this culture of not really listening to what's going on or reading the article, but just seeing a headline and saying that like, that's bad in a hundred percent or that's really good at a hundred percent. And there's no room for critique. There's no room to actually check your sources. It's just like, Oh, I I read one line of, you know, like a headline. Now I have this huge long opinion that I'm going to share with the world. It's like, Oh God. But that's deliberate. Like that's exactly what's being engineered to happen is to have that reaction to make sure there isn't any discussion. There is, all this criticism she laid towards the mainstream media saying that, you know, you've made this monster and mm-hmm. you're profiting off yeah, it exactly. isn't what the media is talking about because they don't want to. Instead, what they're talking about is the faux outrage that's coming from the right 
and then saying that they're going to com- change their format because this is in align with their bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. It's all rubbish. <laughs> it's so I crazy. I hate it. And also because the, they hired her. They checked out her work mm. beforehand. I mean, she's got a special on Netflix. It's excellent. It's called Nice Lady. It's very good. Mm. I'm going to watch it now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't understand why after the fact they – released a statement saying that it wasn't in line with the values of the White House She would have rehearsed it. They it would have listened yeah, to it. Yeah, you submit jokes. Yeah, it and needs approval. They've seen her work before and mm. it's just the, like the, the after the fact and they, they don't want to deal with the, the controversy. They don't know. What they the don't want to do is they don't want to lose their access to the White House. Mm. Yeah. Like this is a way of the White House and everybody that's close to Trump and close to... Um, Sorry, what's her name? The Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, thank mm. you. Mind blank. Just four hours sleep wasn't a good idea. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of people. I didn't notice you were like, come and go. like Yeah. I was doing my note. Oh, well, that's when the arrest development thing. I was like, I was up for an extra half hour because of that. <laughs> Far out. Uh, yeah, that those people are all the outraged ones and they're the ones who influenced Trump and could absolutely get in the way of... Like, there's already this ridiculous divide mm. between the media in the White House anyway, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders absolutely epitomizes that. Mm, and yeah. they are they are just addicted. They're not willing to confront or actually take them to the White House to task because they don't want to lose their access, and it's the same thing. They're being put in the corner, and they don't want to lose their toys. And it's uh, the controversy is mostly surrounding her, Sarah Huckabee Sanders as one well. One line. It's the one line about also complimenting a perfect smoky eye <laughs> exactly but is that worse than the fact about it other than the fact that she lies yeah which she does i'm, I'm willing to talk about this every anymore. single day that that line <laughs> so stupid does not deserve the amount of examination it's gotten absolutely it's ridiculous not. also because there are jokes about like kellyanne conway being stuck under a tree and no one said <laughs> a single thing because everyone it, wants her stuck under a tree yeah, <laughs> yeah that was a, yeah. i did see that tweet it's like it really tells you what people think about uh about kellyanne conway when nobody gets offended yeah. by that <laughs> Yeah. But it's it's true. It feeds into the the need to like play up to her to get access to the White House yeah. because otherwise mm. we're we're all done. Everyone's for. acting like she called her a fat slut. <laughs> like it's, just, it's not that bad. At, it's not bad. Yeah, I, don't think. It's, I feel like it's a lot of people reading into what they personally think of Sarah Huckabee yeah. Sanders and <laughs> putting that on top of the joke mm. that was already there yeah. rather than at, listening. At the very least, that's true. But go beyond that. It's all faux outrage because their whole thing is fuck your feelings. Like mm. political correctness is, and you will see her dad, Mike Huckabee is like talking about how awful this was. And in a tweet the day before, he talks about how, hey, don't watch the show this week if, you, if you're easily offended and stuff like that because it is bullshit. And yeah. we shouldn't engage with it on an intellectual level except call it out for what it is, which is absolute distraction. That's all of this is. And Michelle Wolf is completely, it's, it's just distraction. Yeah. And it, we shouldn't examine what she said at all. We should only examine the r- rubbish reaction to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think above everything, I just enjoyed it as a, as a piece of stand-up comedy. Mm. That oh, was, yeah, was a good. really solid. The bits yeah, I've seen great. Really excellent critique of the, just the insane nature of their politics. Yeah. That's right a good now. point, Lauren. Go and watch it, everybody, because it's really good yeah. stand-up. Go yeah, watch yeah. it. It's just great stand-up. And watch her special as well. Yeah. Yeah. Show some sport. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Good point. What's next? Um, so I finally look. I'm a little late to the party, but I finally watched The Big Sick. Oh, that's all right. I was a bit late to the party too. <laughs> Not as late as you, obviously. No, I'm I'm always incredibly late to the party. <laughs> what do uh, you think? Hated it. I was really shit. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I you know I just don't like 
mixed race yeah, like <laughs> love <relationship>. or <laughs> nice things yeah no no it was amazing um i don't know why it took me so long to watch because it's right up my alley it's beautiful mm-hmm. um and it's it was great for a giggle and a cry so i i think it got i wish i hadn't gone with such high expectations i think it's very oh, okay, good i yeah. kind of feel like it got a little overpraised to the point where i was like oh i'm enjoying this but right. the yeah, I don't know. There was there was instantly talk of Oscars and stuff. And it did get nominated, I think, for best uh, one of the original yeah, screenplays stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it didn't win and stuff. I don't think it deserved to win no, either. No, um, and it's a really great. Did I really get out like Kamal. Kamal, yeah, get out yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Kamal Nanjiani won. Uh, deserves a lot of praise. He's a really mm. interesting comedian. Mm. He's he's really great, and his wife. Emily B. Gordon. Thank you, Lauren. You're the best. <laughs> Michael B. Gordon. What? <laughs> um, yeah. No, I thought. It was such a, a lovely story and I, I just – it's been so long since I watched like I guess a rom-com that made yeah. me like feel so much or made me really connect with it and I love rom-coms. Like that's one of my favourite genres of film. Right. Like I'm constantly watching When Harry Met Sally. Um, so it was just kind of nice to see that maybe there is there is hope for the rom-com still. Yeah, mm. I think that's what was so special about it is that it just enhanced the genre and it yeah. kind of, I guess to bring it back to The Simpsons for a second, it, it was something <laughs> Everything that, comes back to The Simpsons. Yeah, it's something that listened to um, I, not just public demand, but it was allowed to tell a story that we'd all been waiting for. We've been waiting yeah. for something that wasn't a standard rom-com that we'd seen before and yeah. it just did a little bit different yes. and it was excellent. It paid off in spades. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, Ant-Man the Wasp, uh, the superhero rom-com that's going to change the genre, released a new trailer today. Is Which genre though? is it going to change? Rom-com or? Rom-com. okay. That's the way it's being titled, like that they've talked about it being like, because Marvel are trying to do like every movie's a, like it's a heist film or it's a, an espionage film or it's something like that. And they've talked about this being a bit of a rom-com type thing. Interesting. But is that going to change the genre? <laughs> no, I was, I, was being, I was being ridiculous. I was making a joke on purpose. It's okay. Um, look, I'm not really pumped for that film. I haven't watched the trailer yet and I've heard a pe- few people say that it's a good trailer. So I don't know. I'll be honest. It's hard to get invested when I'm just waiting for... The a, next Avengers. The Avengers yeah. 4. It's like, this is a prequel to that, but it's like... I don't think I care right now. There's yeah. bigger things than Ant-Man. I think and it's this pretty unlikely that I'll go see that at the cinema, to be honest. Oh, I'll see it. I'll see it week one. <laughs> Still. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt. Uh, midnight screening. Yeah. But I won't care. Okay. <laughs> but I'll let you know if it's worth seeing or not. Okay, good. Uh, what else? Anything else? Um, I just saw the post as well. Um, look, I'm about eight months behind on movies. <laughs> That's fine. Me too. Um, I think it's because I finally succumbed to actually like renting them online oh my god you're paying for things i know i don't know who i am i've become an adult Uh, i also am terrified of going to jail so i was gonna say that's how you know you're an adult (laughs) when you stop stealing content yes (laughs) i think that's pretty accurate um and i mean it could have been constructed a little better but it's just nice to see meryl do meryl and she's fantastic in it but other than that it was it was okay Okay yeah Yeah. i um i 100% agree with it's okay yeah it's it's. I like the certainly the story. I like what it's doing. It's sort of that um, mission. In, oh no! What's what? Sorry, Apollo thirteen sort of thing where it's like here's a situation. Everything's going wrong. People talking in rooms trying to figure it out. Mm. The problem is I don't feel like there's a lot. Oh, I don't know. It's just that they're beyond that. It it, it it's. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's reaching for something you're not get, quite getting there. Yeah, it, I think it never- at, at the beginning we find out there's like all these documents that have like all of this like scathing stuff that's mm. you know could topple the government i wish we kind of 
delved into that a little bit more, the actual stuff as opposed to whether or not the newspaper is going to print it or not. Well, I don't know. I, I just wanted like something a little meatier for me to nibble on. That's I get the people in the room are excited about it, but I'm not excited about it yet. The thing is, it all comes down to the whole movie is just, are we going to make that phone call or not? Like that's the movie. It's yeah. like, and then the phone call takes place and then the movie's over. It's like, <laughs> I feel like should we have had a little bit more talk about the follow-up consequences to that? Like, and theoretically, this is almost like a prequel to um, All the President's Men or something like that. Yeah. Uh, which I've actually seen, but I understand is about the Watergate scandal. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to watch it. So I think I watched it when I was like eight, still, so I probably did not get a lot of it. And that's the Washington Post as well, obviously. Mm. But it just feels like like the coda to that movie or something like that, or the <laughs> or the prequel to that, I should say. Mm-hmm. I know, it's it's an odd, mm-hmm. odd film. It's, it was fine, as yeah. you said. It was Spielberg, wasn't it? It was Spielberg, yeah. 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 But At least not, it was more accessible than Lincoln, because I, could I couldn't watch Lincoln. Yeah. I, I just could not penetrate that film at all. He did a third political one as well, didn't he? What oh, was, probably. I can't remember. There was another one. Oh, the, the bridge one. Oh, yeah. Spy uh, bridge. Bridge man. of spies. <laughs> bridge of spies. Yeah. See, bridge the thing is, is it, the better version of the post is um, Spotlight. Mm. Spotlight yeah. is a much better journalistic movie, I think. Yep. I would I'd recommend that one above the post. Anyway. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, that's it, really. I haven't done, really done wonderful. anything with my you, life. Did you have anything for off-topic topic, Lauren? Uh, I've been a bit behind as well, but I finally saw A Quiet Place. Oh, oh yes. Pretty great. Pretty tense. Uh, so many excellent performances. Like, not a small film, but you could feel the constraints just, like, closing in on you. Yeah, it was The whole time. Put together, yeah. I'm actually hoping to see that tonight. Oh, you oh my gosh. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Been, my girlfriend and I have been talking about it, like, every weekend for the last two or three weekends. We're like, hey, let's go see The Quiet Place. And then we get to yeah. Friday and go... I just want to get to bed. And- <laughs> Me too, but yeah, I saw it and it just the performances are so incredible because there's mm. like basically no dialogue in yeah. the whole film. Oh, unreal. Um, and the kids are excellent. Yeah, they are. It's it's nice to see child actors yeah. who can act. Yeah. Can I ask what were your audiences like? Were they big audiences, small audiences? Uh, I had one old woman in the back of the cinema with us. <laughs> that was it. Oh, she perfect. was dead Silent. from the previous film. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, and I think I had like half the cinema was full. I think. And were they good? Uh, they were. Oh, no one was talking, which was good. Which was okay, something good. I was really worried about. I was like, if some dickhead <laughs> is going to be talking through this, I'm going to be so angry. There was like at the beginning someone opening chips, and yeah. I was like, why yeah. do they sell chips at the cinema? <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. Just Pringles. Just sell Pringles. Well, just, that's why popcorn's just great. Soft. Yeah, exactly. It's already um, open. Yeah. Though. Uh, my friend saw it with a in its opening week, and apparently there was a bunch of maybe thirteen teenagers there, all throwing uh, popcorn at the screen during the previews, and they were very concerned. But as soon as it starts, it before even the opening like title sequence, mm. it hits you, and everyone shut up. Oh, that's oh, great! Excellent. I'm really glad to hear that because I, that, I've so heard stories be of people going to see it and like people talking to each other mm. and like being on their phones because they get bored because there's no dialogue and stuff like that. And I would. I would Fucking throw a tanty. I would be. Oh, that's like as soon as I see someone on their phone in a cinema, I am walking to their seat. I don't care if it's in the middle of a row. Can you please turn your phone off, please? One day I'm literally going to snap it out of their, like take it out of their hand and throw it across the room. Like it's <laughs> going to happen. It's it's I'll also, go to jail, but it's going to happen. It's also short. It's ninety minutes. Oh, yeah, beautiful. It's really, yeah. It's, everything about this film is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just quickly one more time about Infinity War. Watching it the second time mm-hmm. last night, I just love the complete 
silence at the end of that movie that you get from the audience. We're mm. just, just everyone's just, just soaking it in, soaking it in, <laughs> and watching those credits and waiting for something else to happen, and then the just like, okay, I guess that's it. <laughs> wow. Uh, was there anything else, Lauren? Yeah, I saw. I feel pretty. Amy Schumer's new new Ooh. film. What's 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 it's, the guess? It's well, because I had seen so much build up for this film. Mm. I had seen and well, so many people just tearing it down from a trailer, which mm. I think is unfair for any film, yeah, considering trailers are not yeah. even cut by the production. But it it was fine. It was okay. fine. It was okay. a fine film. It wasn't outrageously offensive but it also wasn't <laughs> super funny right. it was it was right in the middle of it felt like a very 90s okay uh almost, so it's pretty almost much rom-com like what women want it's just that again a little bit there were there's a lot of physical humor which i think is maybe her strong point now mm-hmm. um but yeah kind of uh, the script felt very manufactured and everything happened very conveniently but still absolutely not deserving of the outrage that it is is getting it actually has quite a lovely message in it but i think in terms of the execution of the comedy Mm. it fell a bit flat for me so do you think the trailer betrayed what this movie was gonna be about i think well i think the trailer was uh, Maybe the trailer was kind of spot on, but I think the reaction to the trailer Where's and the wrong? yeah and the way that um, there was a lot of backlash in terms of um, it's offensive. If Amy Schumer's considered ugly, then what am I considered? Yeah, and it's okay. like not really even about any of that. It seems like there's a lot of opinions about this film that don't come from the film itself. Yeah, right. Um, which you- is crazy because it is just. A- a, a almost forgettable film. <laughs> yeah, it's um shallow. Ha- do, do you have you seen shallow hell? Yeah, it's like shallow hell, and I think it's also based on a Greek tragedy where someone Ooh. there's a woman who imagines who just wants to be beautiful and one day wakes up as a goddess, and it's kind of the reverse Beauty and the Beast. Mm. So it's like, classic literature. I hear. You. Yeah, <laughs> I gotcha. yeah. But the film is is. It's all inside her head. So mm. a lot of uh, the co- like controversy was, oh, well, she's thinking that she's skinny and skinny doesn't mean beautiful, but you never see that. It's just her perception has changed. Yeah. And I think that's also where the best parts of the comedy come in because you don't know what she's seeing herself as to make herself feel so confident. Mm-hmm. Um, you just see yeah. someone who looks like Amy Schumer feel good about themselves. Yeah, yeah, but I guess a lot of supporting characters didn't have a lot to do. Mm. Okay, gotcha. That's that, that's why I always found interesting about the reaction to that trailer because people were making those ju- uh, uh, assumptions about the that judgments were being yeah. made like that, and I was like, but does, do we really believe Amy Schumer would have done that? I don't know <laughs> Amy Schumer that well. It doesn't seem very her. She seems so sort of confident with her own body anyway, and sort of like you could tell it came and, from a place of where obviously she's been told repeatedly that she's not pretty enough yes. to do certain things. Yeah. And then make, uses that as her art and makes a film about it. Absolutely. And it's, she's still not ugly enough and she can't ever win. Right. Um, but I think it was more, my critique of it was more that the supporting characters didn't have as, barely had anything to do gotcha. um, mm. in contrast to what she was doing mm-hmm. I think and the, how many times she got to really have all the jokes. <laughs> the best version of that whole is Amy Schumer too ugly or pretty thing for what she's doing is the 12 Angry Men version Which they did. It's excellent. so good. It's it's for her show Inside Amy Schumer. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's available on YouTube now. I yeah. recommend everyone watch it. It's like a parody of 12 Angry Men. 
Um, but they're just discussing whether or not she's like fuckable enough to be on television. It's very, very good. Yeah. And the last fuckable day sketch with oh. Tina Fey, Julia Louis Dreyfus, and oh yeah, 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 I've, I've seen that one. Who else is in it? Um, the, the medium lady, from lady. motherhood, brotherhood. Brother, boyhood, motherhood, brotherhood, oh, yes. boyhood. Yes, boyhood. Academy Award winner Patricia that, Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Go, <laughs> we got there. Nice. Uh, just on this riffing on this whole trailer perception thing, have you guys seen the trailer for Blockers or Cock Blockers? I have. Yeah, and I had a reaction to it, yeah. and I was like, I mean, I wasn't a dickhead posting on social media, being like, oh, but I remember thinking, oh, this is gonna be. Awful! What a and stupid idea! And all those yeah, sorts of things. Exactly. Yeah. And apparently, that's not what it is. Well, it's, it's got, quite subversive. It's got right? yeah. Everybody looked at that trailer. I remember seeing that mm. when I went to see Game Night and going, "That looks like horseshit." Yes. And then it's got an eighty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and everyone talks about how it's got a positive message. And I'm like, mm-hmm. trailers suck. Trailers, trailers are the worst. Yeah. Trailers are cut by independent companies, so yeah. it's not a fair representation <sighs> of the film. It's like mass market. Like, what's a bunch of funny lines or a bunch of action sequences that sometimes don't make it into the final film mm-hmm. that can just get people on in seats. But the, the, it did the exact opposite to me. Although yeah. I wonder, it's like the people that would have gone to that and gone, yeah, I'm on John Cena's side. I don't want my yeah. daughter having like, sex. It is funny to try and stop your daughter from having a healthy yeah. sex life. Might have been pulled into I that that's movie. that's exactly what yeah. would have And happened. given a different message. And maybe that's a good yeah. thing. Because the trailer yeah. that was cut was for like kind of, I feel like it's, you know, after like a million marketing surveys, it would have been like, you know, this is the kind of representation that most people want to see. Yeah. And that's the kind of trailer we got, whereas that's actually not what the film is. And I think also for Amy Schumer's trailer for I Feel Pretty, it's mostly her just having a great time. Yeah. Um, and there seemed to be such a ho- like a horrible reaction to a woman who's just realized that she is beautiful in her own mm-hmm. eyes and is having an excellent time and living her best <laughs> life. And that is all the trailer is. It's also like people don't understand how films work and that they're like arcs. <laughs> it's like, well, this isn't just going to be it. It's not just going to be And then it be. ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, feel, I feel so good. The end. I don't yeah. want to get too much into this, but for some reason, Joss Whedon's Wonder Woman script came up again recently. He was oh. defending or whatever. Oh. But no, I actually feel that way about that. That script, I mm. feel like that we are judging on individual lines or individual moments. And some of the descriptions definitely of the way he describes certain, especially her, are problematic. But they're also meant to, uh, they aren't said, they're trying to help show how visually things are going to come across. And that's before we see the entire, We like people haven't seen the entire arc of what he was going on about. Yeah. It seems very unlikely that Joss was trying to, I don't know, it just seems like you take those little things out and- You've got to discuss if you're going to talk about female empowerment or how men view women. You're going to have creepy men saying creepy things to women, and if you just take that line and go, "Oh, this movie's you know sexist," it's like, "Well, hold on a second. That's is that probably critiquing it? It's it could be well critiquing it. I just find that that reaction to be interesting. All right, let's move on to our spoiler-free review of the assassination of Gianni Versace. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The Assassination of Gianni Versace American Crime Story is the second season of the FX true crime anthology television series American Crime Story and explores the murder of designer Gianni Versace by serial killer Andrew Kunanen. Based on Maureen Orth's book Vulgar Favors, Andrew Kunanen, Gianni Versace and the largest failed manhunt in US history, the season stars Edgar Ramirez, Darren Criss, 
Ricky Martin and Penelope Cruz as Donatella Versace. The assassination of Gianni Versace American Crime Story consists of nine episodes, each coming in at around 54 minutes and took us approximately eight hours and five minutes to watch. So before we... uh, Now... Before we uh, uh, go into our review, I just wanted to ask, what's everyone's relationship to the story of Gianni Versace and his assassination in the sense of how familiar with it are you? I had no idea, one, that he was dead, how he died, (laughs) who he was. I know nothing about Gianni Versace going into it. Right. Yeah. What about you, Lauren? I knew a little bit about the Versace family and where they kind of stood now in terms of how much Donatella owned, because Donatella doesn't own that much of the company anymore. It's right. left to Allegra, which I think is her daughter. I think it's her daughter, yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's. I knew a little bit about the family business and I also knew a bit about Andrew Kananen, but mm-hmm. not the entire story. Gotcha. Me personally, I uh, the first episode, as in the first 10 minutes, I realised it actually been and seen his house like the, the <laughs> mentor who was assassinated i've been there why were they you there i was in i was in miami beach when i was in the u.s and we mm. went on an architect tour it was mainly for uh, um cool it, it was mainly for uh the style that's completely art uh, art deco thank you fucking hell bro so tight <laughs> it was mainly it's mainly an art deco tour but they like how can you when you're walking along mm. that that area yeah how could you not talk about that amazing mansion um right in miami beach right on the on the coast there well, um, apparently the show took a lot of press through the house as well before they, like the show they shot released. on the steps yeah like, it's mm, the actual where place. he died yeah. so that was for me it came rushing back that i actually did have some recognition of this story and actually it's fun when you've been to a place and you like you watch and go, oh yeah, this feels like when I was there. This feels exactly the same. <laughs> Miami I, Beach. I, I, me I'm and Andy hanging out in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was just a bit of like, whoa, I actually, I do know this a little bit. But beyond that, I really didn't know much at all. I knew of Gianni Versace in the terms of him being a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew he was assassinated. That's about it. Yeah. I didn't oh, so know you this. knew that he was murdered? Like I said, I'd, I'd been there and been told about oh, it. Oh, they told like, you. It was on the architect tour. Yeah, you don't go to the house and go, this is Gianni Versace's house. <laughs> don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. <laughs> yeah. he, um, he moved in weird circumstances, but let's yeah. not talk about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think they actually talked about, I don't know, something along the lines of, you know, in the first episode where the tourist like takes the, Ugh, the, yeah. the, the blood from the, the blood. Uh, page of the magazine. like that's... Either a old wives' tale or a myth, or that was that sort of thing it was retold. It sounds like something that a, I, a good story that someone told. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah There's so, a few little bits of memorabilia, like the the Polaroid is a real yes. thing and sold for like thousands of dollars. Yeah, I think those little sorts of things were brought up in the architecture tour as well. It was yeah. a good tour, actually. Everyone should do it. If you go to Miami Beach, do the Art Deco tour. It was really good. Um, <laughs> okay, thanks, <laughs> but the important thing is that uh, the important thing is that we weren't none of us were super familiar with this story. Mm. Probably Lauren the most. By the sounds of it. But still a lot of blanks to fill in. A lot of blanks to fill in. And so the reason I bring this up as well is because last week when we were talking about the OJ Simpson trial, we sort of said, ah, there's no spoilers here because everyone knows this story. Mm. We're going to do spoilers this time because we didn't. So we're going to assume that we're not the only idiots here who don't know this story. (laughs) So we're going to give a spoiler-free review of, um, of this season and then we'll move into spoilers afterwards. So with that in mind, Lauren. Could you please give us your spoiler-free review of the assassination of Gianni Versace? Well, I thought a really like a really good portrait of a killer as long as you just forget about Versace. <laughs> Put <laughs> yeah. Versace and all of the family at the back of your mind mm-hmm. and I think you'll enjoy this a lot yeah, it more. It ain't about that. It's yeah. not about that. Um, but once you realise that, 
so much more enjoyable. Rad 90s backdrop. Um, really does service to its victims and does a really great job in not glamorizing a killer. Mm-hmm. Damask? So I watched this show week to week, which I think you did as well, Lauren. Or did you binge it? I binged it last week. Last week. Okay, well done. Well, no, I watched it week to week mm-hmm. um, because I I was at home with my fabulous housemate, Joseph, and he was told me that it was coming out. I was like, I don't know anything about Versace, but sure, let's sit down. So we would watch it every week with a lot of sparkling, um, having a good old <laughs> giggle or a scream or whatever, just being like, that's amazing. Oh, my God. So I think that is a fantastic way to watch that this. That sounds like the best way to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not sure how I would go binging it. Yeah. Um, just because I think there is a lot of content that is kind of retread within yeah. it. Yeah. But I yeah. do think it is a fascinating story, but because I binged it probably like I watched the – last the first eight episodes just over the last two days just to kind of like while I was doing other things you know just kind of refresh my memory a little bit um it was fascinating however I think there's a lot it's comes across very clear that there's a lot we don't know about Andrew Cunanan um and I I get a a sense of that from the show particularly on the rewatch because I think the first time I was expecting to find out more Mm -hmm. than I did yeah Mm -hmm. but you know I really enjoyed it do I recommend people binge it? No, I don't. But I, I think it's, you know, it's it's high drama and it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Despite some of the <laughs> horrific things that happen in it. What about you, Brod? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Maybe I thought I was going to be the uh, Debbie Downer on this episode, but maybe I'm not as far removed from you guys as <laughs> I, I thought. I always like to think of you of the Debbie Downer, just of the podcast in general. That's me. That's just that's just me in reality. I'm just life's Debbie just Downer. always brings the room down. <laughs> that's my role. It, this, this, this room's too hype. Where's Brod? Um... No, the okay, yeah, I think we're on a similar level then. I, I was uh, maybe my expectations were a little bit raised. A because I loved the OJ Simpson yeah. season so much, yeah. and then we were talking about this with Cameron a couple of yes. episodes ago as well. Mm. And you guys seemed so hyped on it that I was like, "Oh man, they're talking about this being like better than OJ Simpson. This is going to be fascinating." Mm. I uh, mean, I hadn't watched the OJ one at oh, that point. Oh right. Okay. In fact, I had watched the first couple of episodes and given up just because I couldn't get through Cuba Gooding Jr. being OJ. Like I couldn't okay. wrap my head around it. Um, but no, this this is certainly not as compelling or well constructed as the OJ one, that's for sure. Okay, this makes me feel better because it's exactly that's exactly my problems with it. Yeah. It's like I think it's a it's a for me a pretty decent step down from the OJ Simpson one. Yeah. Um, it's still very well made. It's still very well performed. Um, it has a lot of visual flair to it. It is a very interesting portrait of a killer, as you said. Andrew Kinnan is a fascinating figure, and you're right. If you're in it for Gianna Versace, you're coming to the wrong show. You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> you're going to be you're going to be disappointed by that. There's unfortunately, if to really talk about it properly, we're going to have to talk about it in spoilers. Mm. This is going to be a pretty quick review. But there are some narrative and structural choices that are really, really centered to how this story is told yes. that are yeah. massively problematic for me. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to spoil that because it's part of the experience. I find it's interesting what you're saying about the um, about binging or not. Because mm. um, you're right. I, I, there are a lot of series that ha- watching it from week to week or binging it will either help or hinder it. Mm-hmm. I watched this well spread out over a week. Yeah. And I never felt like I was like 
just chir- like just going through the motions or speak, you know, just yeah, that's to get through it. Mm. That wasn't the problem. Okay. I did a good job watching one or two episodes a day, and that's a good felt, way to do it. I, think, I yeah. did feel motivated to watch the next episode. Mm-hmm. I just often felt like what you said. I feel like I already know this. I understand this. Why are we retreading this? element of Andrew there's a section in the middle in particular mm. like of honestly three yeah. four maybe even five episodes where I'm like and we'll talk about this why this happens but it really feels like I know this already can we talk yeah. about something else for a bit it's the I don't know if this comes into spoilers I, 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 I want to hold off from that because you're exactly yeah. right what you're about to say is exactly the problem yeah <laughs> Oh my! Well, there's some sort of psychic connection no, no, going no. on that I there was don't one understand. syllable it's, half said, and you're oh, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> it's the obvious uh, issue yeah, with the series. It, you understand that structurally, this is a very particular mm. uh, storytelling style, yeah. and that it it is an interesting experiment, but I think ultimately is a disservice to telling the story. Yeah, it does feel detrimental. Yeah. yeah. In contrast to OJ and how much <clears throat> I enjoyed that. But also because I had watched the documentary side by side with it and we know so well the media mm. that's around that. We have so many side by side comparisons of reality and fiction. That's 100% true, yeah. This series really leans into the drama of docudrama mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. so much that does seem like it is fabricated. Yes. Which is also... Openly fabricated. Yeah, yeah which is also... Yeah. I think, I, yeah, we we do lose that element of like, you know, that fascination we have with true crime. We do lose that with this season because yeah. it feels false, which is fine if you're just tar- telling a fictionalised story. That's absolutely yeah. fine. But if you sell this as a true crime show, mm. it it loses that fascination because you're like, well, they're yeah. just making this up. Whereas with OJ, it, it was fascinating to get another angle on things yeah. that we already knew so well. And the drama of OJ and the artistic license with those mm. characters was to illustrate the greater point yes, that exactly. they each represented. Whereas I feel with this show, I think if you're in it for yeah Versace or true crime or anything that it's advertised as... <laughs> You're going to be a little bit yeah. let down. This is definitely much more of a Ryan Murphy show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting. The The title American Crime Story, I think, is poignant because mm. you're right. Yeah. I, I Especially O.J. Simpson sets up, sets up the expectation as true crime. And yes, this is a based on a true story. But I think the story part's a bit I need to emphasize. Put that in bold yeah. and italics. This mm-hmm. is a story. We are telling the dramatic version of this. And yeah, we're going to throw our own interpretation mm. of what may yeah. or may not have happened in there yeah. to try and create a compelling character and a compelling narrative there. and But that's it. It's 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 a story, for better or for worse. And I think I would have forgiven that a bit more mm-hmm. if it hadn't pushed so hard for certain themes and certain points to come mm. across. Right. Yes. I, I totally agree with that because I yeah. think American crime story, you know, the O.J. Simpson one, it's yeah. very much – so the parts that are story are to emphasize the very clear themes that we yes. have brought forward and they do that fantastically. With whereas with this season, particularly I noticed on the rewatch, they're like, these are kind of our themes and yeah. then but this is also a theme and maybe this is a theme. And it never I'm I, a lot of times I'm like, what what is the theme? I get where it kind of exploring a little bit of this yeah. and that. But the story to me, the purpose of the story is somewhat unclear yeah there are often lines i think especially in the last couple of episodes i felt like where they were starting to articulate a thesis a bit better mm-hmm. there was one episode yeah. in the middle as well the um don't ask don't tell one which was mm-hmm. which had which a was, bit more direction yeah but 
then it got to this ending and it started to articulate ideas a bit better. But I was like, oh, it's a little bit late for you to be doing this now. And I feel like, yeah, I like, oh, I see what you're saying. Kind of wish you'd done a better job of that a little bit earlier. Whereas one of the things that we praised about the OJ Simpson one was like, this does have an episode structure in that they have a very definitive like events that the, each episode is centered yeah. around. Mm-hmm. But the thematic structuring of OJ Simpson was incredible. Yes. Yeah. This is an episode about um, uh, racist language and the politics around that. This is an episode about sexism in the media. And like you really felt like each episode could be its own individual thesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This does not rise to that level at all, really, or it, barely gets there. Yeah. It does feel like it's trying to say a lot of different things within one main theme mm. and it gets very lost. But then mm-hmm. again, towards the end is very blatant with what it's trying to say, almost to the point where they are, just have characters saying the, it feels that's cheap. true. Yeah, it, it gets the, cheap, that's it. Yeah. it. That's I think you're that's that's exactly it. It kind of goes, yeah, now you're hitting me over the head with it. Maybe <laughs> you've just done a better job of articulating this earlier. Yeah. Uh, any other non-spoiler thoughts? Anything else you want to comment on? I don't think so. I think we need think to I'll get to spoilers spoilery. pretty soon, yeah. yeah. Uh, before we do that, let's just give our final score for this. So, Damask, out of five, how would you rate this season? Um, I'd give it a 3.5. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fairly high 3.5 for me just because I did love the drama of it. I loved the just the design of this show. I was just like, oh, that looks good. And it took me back to the 90s, took me back to my childhood, which was awesome. Um and I, there were a lot of performances in there that I really, really liked. There was one performance, however, that I was like, I don't know about this, but maybe I'm wrong. Can you articulate that? Was that a spoiler? Uh, I mean, it was, it was Darren Chris, the guy who plays Andrew Cannon. Yeah. There was sometimes I'm like, what? I that think I agree. very, very over the top and not in a way that feels nuanced or like you're in the same story as a lot of the other people in the scene. I'll be very interested to hear what those points are. Mm. Um. But, you know, it, it's a, it has to be a 3.5 because I did feel like it was disjointed thematically throughout much of the season. Um, and I, like I said earlier, those themes a lot of the time didn't feel fully realised. And, you know, we've got like homophobia and obsession with fame and, you know, the AIDS epidemic and, you know, bumbling law enforcement and all these types of things. But nothing ever fully got me there. So, yeah. Yeah. I would agree a 3.5 I because I just don't think I could give it four out no, of five. Yeah. It just wasn't that compelling. Like I wasn't just dying to watch the next episode. Also, I guess the structure leans into that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the 90s aesthetic is excellent. Um, great performances. Yeah, I, I, and also the attention to the victims and giving them a story as well, I think is something that's often overlooked. That's true. Um, it does a really good job at yeah, at least lives of the victims. Yeah, yeah at mm-hmm. least crafting a story for them to distance yourself from Andrew a bit. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Especially um, in conjunction with uh, OJ Simpson where they talk specifically about how Ron Goldman, like just no one talks about him. Yeah. <laughs> it's always about Nicole. Yeah, yeah sorry. And, you, and in uh, the OJ season, you barely even see them i mean they're, they're you, you don't i mean they're dead but, they're plot, you <laughs> no, but you're right they're, they're plot they're not characters yeah. Yes. yeah um so i thought that was really interesting um but ultimately story more interesting than execution mm-hmm. 
Very good. I am also giving you a 3.5. Oh, look at us go I think triplets. It's, I think it's a... Uh, I often talk about the star ranks, three being decent, four being excellent. It's yeah. better than decent. Like yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's It's above decent, but I couldn't go too much higher than that because... Yeah, it's it, it just doesn't quite get there in too many other places, unfortunately. So 3.5 from me as well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, let's move on into Spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. On this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in the assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story. If you've not yet watched the assassination of Gianni Versace, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. Oh, God. So there was this fella called Andrew that was raised by a status-hungry man that did totally normal things, like give his son the master bedroom and supplied his son with lobster and routinely defecated on his siblings. You know, what a relatable family. Papa Kunanen was pursued by the FBI for embezzlement, which exposes a family trait of wanting everything but never being in the mood to work for it, which is probably the most relatable thing about the Kunanens. Anyway, Modesto Kunanen flees to the Philippines, leaving his family penniless. Weirdly, though, all the excessive bolstering of his son's ego and showering him with gifts turned Andrew into a compulsive liar that puts all of his value and the value of others in what material items they have. This is going to end well. Andrew has a pretty kick-ass life living with Norman Blackford, but he throws it all away because his sugar daddy wants to pay for college and not first-class flights. Andrew has a pretty kick-ass life living with Norman Blackford, but he throws it all away because his sugar daddy wants to pay for college and not first-class flights. Andrew has a huge hissy fit and leaves, which is a mistake. So Andrew's adrift and trying to woo his apparent one true love, David, but David is losing interest, particularly since Jeff Trail is moving to Minneapolis. He's one of Andrew's only friends, the handsome and respectable Jeff Trail. We all love Jeff, so who can blame David? Andrew starts to spiral when he sees that he is very close to losing them both, not because they're interested in each other, but because the facade he has been hiding behind is beginning to fade. Jeff has figured out that he's a dangerous liar, so Andrew does the only rational thing and beats him to death with a hammer while David shudders helplessly in the corner. If that is too much for you, don't worry because now it's time for a road trip movie. 
David and Andrew frolic around together, eating burgers and talking about running a woman off the road. And the fun culminates in a cute little fight about how Andrew planned the murder and subsequent mission to Mexico just to be with David, and how maybe they should both go to police. It's full of laughs. And then Andrew shoots David in the back and face. Andrew doesn't have much time to, you know, dwell though. He's moving on up to bigger and better things. He goes to the Windy City to visit his good friend Lee Miglin. Lee was a prominent developer who decides to hang out with Andrew while his wife's away. This was not a great idea on his part. Under the pretense of having a little sex at time, Andrew gags and binds Lee and then proceeds to murder him. And if that wasn't awful enough, Andrew then steals his coin collection. Hasn't the man suffered enough? So Andrew's driving around, easy breezy, making his way to Miami. When he decides he's bored of Lee's Lexus, so he shoots a random guy in the back of the head and steals his red pickup truck. I guess he wanted a more down-to-earth and relatable vehicle. So he drives on down to Miami. He chills out for a bit, does some meth with a cool dude named Ronnie who wants to open a flower shop. Very cute. Life's pretty good. But Andrew can't get out of his own head, which I imagine is quite difficult when you're constantly binding it up with duct tape. Once again, totally normal stuff. All he can think about is murdering Versace. Why? Great question. I guess it's because he sees himself in Versace. He sees himself as a creative, a visionary, someone that should be admired and adored. But, you know, he's not. So to help quell his feelings of inferiority, he wanders over to the Versace compound and shoots the poor guy in the head. He really likes shooting guys in the head. A manhunt ensues and it's discovered that this whole thing could have been prevented if only the cops had listened to Dyer and put up some goddamn posters. Life stops being fabulous for Andrew at that point since he's stuck on a houseboat eating cat food. When he finally realises that there is no way out, he does something unsurprising for a man like Andrew. Instead of facing what he did and the consequences of his actions, he puts the gun he used to kill four men and kills himself. And what do I have to say to that? Hmm, I don't know. How about, fuck you, Andrew Cunanan? The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Thank you very much, Damask. All right, let's talk spoilers. So, let's talk about the structure. I think that's the best place to start. Because mm, I think yeah. it's the... I think we all feel this as well. And just straight up state, the structure of this is we start with the murder of Gianni Versace mm-hmm. and basically work our way backwards from there. Um... And the, so we're exploring Andrew Cunanan as this very interesting figure in terms of he's a serial killer um, with an obs- obsession with Jane Versace and then trying to uh, backtrack our way and sort of reverse engineer well, what got him to this point where he became this killer and this yeah. sort of person, this compulsive liar, all these sorts of things, which we'll talk about him in detail in a second. But the problem with the structure with that for me was that I've had, have you ever seen uh, the musical Merrily We Roll Along, the no, Sondheim no. musical? It has the exact same structure. And I watched, I watched that. <laughs> exactly that the was same. That was a twist yeah. I did not see coming. <laughs> well, we, that does, there's no serial killer, but yeah. it's, the, it's a reverse order Damn. thing. And we start by seeing how this, spoilers for Merrily We Roll Along. For, <laughs> for, we start by seeing how these, these originally three best friends mm. have, we see the end of their friendship, the after effect that they've used to be very close and now they're not. And then we work our way back through the musical in reverse order, seeing how that all happened. 
And I went and saw this musical because a friend of ours um, was in that. Mm-hmm. And we actually really enjoyed the music and stuff of it and the performances. But I kept going, why isn't this being played in the correct order? Because... What, what's the purpose? What's the, what is, being what a neat is trick. the purpose of yeah. going backwards? What are you getting for this narratively by going backwards? Yeah. Apart from going, oh, I wonder why this happened. Yeah. And then immediately finding out the next scene anyway. It's not sustained for any period of time. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. That's and I just feel like stories are told in the correct order for a reason, like <laughs> because you can watch someone evolve and really understand as it happens and get invested in that mm. transformation or that arc. And to do it backwards just completely destroys that for me. I don't know. What about you guys? I tried to mm. f- like justify it, and the only way that I could do that was in an attempt to distance the audience from Andrew as to not sympathize with him, as to understand that mm. he's the protagonist or. He's the lead of the show, yep. but he's he's not like a lone wolf. Like he's not a cool serial. He is actually terrible every step of the way, and you should see that in his actions. Because I think it would be easier for us to sympathize with him and relate to him had we seen how we started with his childhood and worked our way forward. Uh, I did think about yeah. this as well. If you're going to do it, I still think you keep the childhood episode where it is. I think yeah. you start with him working at the pharmacy. I think you start mm. there. Like you have the assassination of Gianni Versace in the first episode and then you go back to 19 whatever it was mm-hmm. and him at, at the just with his just him and his mom and he's working at the pharmacy and where he goes from there. Mm. Yeah. And start there going from a nobody to wanting to be somebody, right? Yeah. And that. And then we go back to his childhood in episode 8 still. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, I better, certainly work better there agree with Lauren and that's how I saw it as well. It was a tool so that we did not sympathize with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I think is important. But I just I certainly think there is a way to do that. And you've given us a great example so that we see this man who clearly, you know, has no genuine connection to anyone and we see he's kind of like I, I feel like there would be smoother arcs and I think there are certain – because the story's in reverse, so many things are confused, including – which I think is probably one of the more fascinating parts of the story that isn't really explored um, properly, which is the bungled investigation and pursuit. Oh, my feels like such a dropped goodness. ball. Was there a tenth episode that they got rid of because it wasn't working? That like, was what happened? the most frustrating which is part like of this whole What we could series. have seen would have like heightened things so much if Andrew was going across the country and like – killing these people, killing obviously like Jeff, then David, then Lee, I think his name is like, and things just escalating and him leaving behind all this evidence, this trail that they are just not following through with. Yeah. Like that would have like, and then we like, we know that he's going to kill Gianni at the end. Oh my God. And then he does. And then finally, like he kills himself. Like I, I think it, it, would have heightened things so much more than this kind of like we get a bit of this, we get a bit of this, we get like it breaks it up. But you're totally right about the the investigation of it and how mm. much the reverse timeline does does not do that, that justice. justice. Doesn't serve it at all. At yeah. all, it it actively detracts from it because mm-hmm. we start in the first episode and we see that they've got like ten flyers from him, but we don't understand at that point that he's so wanted. We don't understand yeah, that exactly. the FBI is after him, and yeah. it just kind of seems like they aren't doing their job and especially when Jeff gets murdered Mm. and he's rolled up in the rug and there's just like brown hair great I figured out who it is and then it's like oh well it's not he must be the other guy and it comes down to getting a wallet out of yeah like it was just so frustrating yeah every time we saw 
time yeah. that we would need to for that to, story to work. And yeah. he's jumping between is Miami and Minneapolis and mm-hmm. he's in New York for a bit. Yep. In, is he in San Diego with his mum? Yeah. Is that where oh, that is? Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the problem but, with reverse storytelling, how to keep track of where people are. Yeah, and it, we don't understand where the police are at, if they're even talking to each other between the states, when mm-hmm. does the FBI get involved? There seems like there's no chase yes Yes. yeah Mm -hmm. and i think if we we have moments where we have a character like ronnie who's like oh you don't care about us like there so there's a theme is that the ball was dropped because these are crimes involving gay people which is you know that's an important story to tell particularly like during like the aids epidemic Mm -hmm. um when like that community was pretty much completely abandoned but because we don't really understand how the ball was dropped and why the, the care wasn't taken to find it, to really yeah. find this serial killer. It like, like lines like that are just kind of like, I get why you put that in because this is an element of the story you want to tell, but you like, you've you taken me to the justice. ending, yeah. but you haven't actually told the story. And it makes it feel like the reason why it's called Versace American mm. crime story. It, it kind of feeds into that that yeah. like no one would care unless it yeah. didn't have a big celebrity as its face and mm-hmm. then we kind of fade out the celebrity because we're working backwards instead of leading up to an assassination of Gianni Versace. Yeah. Mm. I've, it seemed like they were like, all right, so we had the assass- assassination at the beginning. That's how we get the people in to tell this like more important story. But it doesn't feel like that. I think you yeah. certainly could have brought people in with just like, all right, at the end, that's like you'll like – the big moment happens. And so people come along with you to get to that point. I, I, I really don't think they needed to mess with the timeline at all. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. You can, you can, I, I honestly would keep the first episode the way it is. I could even do that just exactly yeah. as it is. We see the moment and then we, and then yeah, bam, back. back to him at the pharmacy. Yeah. And like, you see him, this person who we don't know at all. He hasn't said a word. I don't think at that point, he's just had his yelling in the ocean and like all those dramatic things. You're like, what is making this person tick? Bam, go back mm-hmm. and yeah. show, well, it wasn't always exactly like this and then yeah. see how he got further and further mm-hmm. down the, well, fell, fell down this well. And to even keep the last two episodes where they were. I, that's fine with me too. The entire midsection gets so lost and scrambled in, in what's going on and where everyone is in time and how what, who's already yeah. been murdered yeah, and exactly. how he's feeling. And-, yeah. and it's not, the thing for me as well is just when I feel like when I keep seeing the results of a relationship or I don't know, this is hard to explain it, but I kept feeling like example, his relationship with David and who's Jeff and Jeff. Right. And so we see that scene where they go to pick him up from the airport and they're mm. talking and mm. David's talking about how, you know, he doesn't have anything to do with him. And Jeff's like, Oh, I feel sorry for him and blah. Other and, way around. Oh, yeah. Other way around. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. And then Andrew comes on, he's doing his thing and he's being his lying liar self, super charismatic, like trying to just play them. But the thing was, I understood that was him already. Mm-hmm. And when they say, I don't want anything to do with him, uh, or, or they're, they're, the way they talk about how they feel about him sort of already told me enough. Mm-hmm. So then to go back again and explain all of that, I was like, but I already know this. I, I, I just kept feeling like we're repeating the same beat that Andrew's... A compulsive liar and some people see them some people don't because like, then that next episode where they're at his party at the at the yeah. mansion mm. we kind of get a rehash of it's that the same that's again, exactly but it, it yes. but we're, we're seeing it in action rather than just having these two characters show up at an airport and have the exact conversation that we all yeah. need to hear conveniently yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, which we also like we yeah we 
get elements of that. I, yeah, it's for like three episodes. Yeah. We hit the yeah. same beats over and over again. And it, it mm. just felt like it, it had already, maybe the show didn't realize it. It had already done a pretty good job of communicating that idea, but it must have not felt like it was. Mm. And I understood that one of those episodes had to do specifically with like um, don't ask, don't tell policy. And that's definitely yeah. something that's worth exploring. But when your framework is the same framework I've been looking well, at. Well, that's the problem. The problem is not. Yeah, it's the so, structure of it. Yeah. We yeah. Have, just like flip those three episodes. Yeah. Still the, very compelling and I think much more compelling. Because I found the third episode to be probably the strongest of the three mm-hmm. um, but also the least interesting because it is. it was a time where we saw everyone come together and we could see Andrew not being able to keep up with all of his lies. But because we already had two full hour episodes before that about where everyone is talking about Andrew's lies. Exactly. We didn't need to see yeah. all the other stuff going on. It's, it's, it's the opposite of escalation. It's de-escalation. It's going yeah. the opposite direction. It's like everything's just slowing down rather than yeah. building Let's up. Let's slowly make our audience not care. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. an interesting tactic. Yeah. In de- I guess in de- defense of it as well, it did feel like... E- you we well, saw the murder up front and it gave everything after that within each individual episode mm. it gave it a, this kind of tense feel of you know what's it, what it's leading yeah. up to and you can see andrew's motivations yeah. a little bit it gives a, a context that. that puts tragedy on a lot of this yeah. the episodes or scenes that come after say the murder of jeff and david yeah which i can understand that's kind of cool to do that um to kind of like see like the beginnings of the friendship and the degradation and ultimate like you know demise of the friendship that is interesting and it does add a sense of tragedy yeah um do I think having that is worth what it does to the actual story? I'm no. not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm just thinking about someone like an example, and this is just popped in my head, but like if you'd played this in the correct order, when he meets Ronnie, I might have felt a little bit more dread for Ronnie, for instance. <laughs> like I don't have that sense because I don't know Andrew at the beginning. And if I got to know how he got into this stage, mm. I might have gone, fuck, run away, dude. Like you're in trouble here. Ronnie, Which doesn't happen, but... Yeah, because Ronnie shows up and it, it, it's kind of like, oh, who are you? Yeah. Like, what, what have you got to, to do? Why is he talking to you? And you only realise at the kind of the very end where he's also kind of just a talking point. I want to just talk about the first scene with Andrew. I think it's his first scene, the one where he is talking with his two friends he's living. He jumps in the... Like, he's oh, there. He in the bed. Yeah, he's watching oh, the bed. Yeah. and he, It's a long time ago. And he jumps in the bed and he starts talking about meeting Johnny Versace and he's telling his story. And they're, like, rolling their eyes because they know it's exaggerated. And it's like, you've expressed so much of what you want to express about this person already. That mm, first episode yeah. has said so many things that you're just going to repeat ad nauseum <laughs> for the next seven. And it's kind of like... I don't really think they realized that they'd already done it. That, yeah. And it's really, I don't it's know. Like they didn't have faith in what they were doing. I kind of half wondered whether that this was structured differently and they've kind of gone, I don't know if this is working. What if we reverse it? Hey, that's kind of cool. Mm. Like I, I I wondered, like, am I watching these in reverse order? Like, am I, <laughs> yeah. I stuck up? Arrested development situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, let's talk about then Andrew. I don't know. what What's to be said about Andrew? Should we just talk about the performance or do you want to talk about him as a character? We can talk about both. Let's talk about the performance. Okay. Mm. You had some criticisms of... Darren Chris. Thank you. Yeah. So, I know Darren Chris from Glee and also the Harry Potter musical. Which I haven't watched yet. I'm <laughs> sorry, Sean. I will. the only place I know him from, which made this show very confronting <laughs> for me. <laughs> Harry, no! Um, so, I loved him in the Harry Potter musical. He was fine in Glee. I think he played his part well. 
Um, yeah, he's... I understand that Andrew Kananen is meant to be incredibly charming Mm -hmm. and sure he lies, but he lies so convincingly that he is kind of, he's able to put up a genuine facade for a lot of people for a time at least. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt that majority of the time his performance of Andrew Kananen's charm was not charming to me. It was so obviously false and kind of, pathetic and weak it lacked the nuance where i could see both sides i could see his weakness but i could Mm -hmm. also see what people saw in him and i didn't really see what people saw in him and that was my issue with it yeah it's it's interesting i think he would make i was kind of on board with it a little bit because i feel like i've met people like him or know people like him a little bit and i think his first impression would be a good one and i think this happened though on the show but again this is the problem with going in reverse right <laughs> yeah. we keep seeing people's end impression with him rather than their first impressions and mm. they, how they grow out of it and i think his first impression might often be a fun one a good one he you know he's good at being like helpful he lends um, you know, an ear to is it David or Jeff? I'm getting Jeff is the army guy. Jeff, oh, the navy it, guy. To right. Jeff when he meets him in the bar and he's struggling with his stuff, and you know he'll buy you drinks and he'll make you feel special, and then he wants and takes and possesses you and so forth, and that's where it falls apart. Yeah, I just think like his he would literally be like, you know, greet someone, be like, and this is also a problem with the writing, but like, hi, oh, I'm a billionaire. You know what I mean? Like there was no, you'd be yeah. like. Sure, buddy. You know what I mean? There was no like build up where it was just like me as a person is charming and oh, by the way, I live this fabulous life. It was, it seemed unconvincing. Didn't you feel like a lot of people, a lot of characters in the show did know that though? Like were aware on some level that he was bullshitting, but just. Well, that's the problem is that because it was so over the top very quickly that I didn't believe that he could get into the places he was getting into, that he could, that people would allow him to attach to them because he was so obviously a con artist from the very beginning. Well, there's a, there's a con artist and then there's just somebody who's just a compulsive lighter is kind of pathetic and sad and that you might see that they, you might see through their bullshit, but also feel that they are actually just a good person underneath and you want to, there's something about them, either they provide you support or something like he did for, mm. for Jeff or, you attach out of a sense of sympathy. I think I've done that with people who are compulsive liars who I look at and go, I know you're bullshit, but I also know that it's kind of pathetic that you're bullshit and I'm sympathetic towards that. I don't want to name names. There was a friend of mine in high school who we all fucking knew he told the most bullshit stories, just constant, constant lies. And it wore down on us, but it wasn't like that straight away. Mm. It was, he was fun to be around still, you know, we'd, we'd hang out with him and do fun stuff. And most of his tall tales were innocent and whatever until it became weird and destructive. And then it was like, I kind of don't want to be around you anymore. Yeah. I think, mm. yeah, we do get the sense of people getting to the point where they're like, oh, honey, like, I know, I know that's not true. Like he had, I think maybe even in the first episode or something, he's, talking about meeting Versace that, that with the guy on illustrates campus. illustrates it perfectly, yeah. Yeah, and he's just like, well, you tell people that you're, depending on who you're with, you know, what you are, like it changes. Like the other day you said you were Jewish and you're yeah. not Jewish, you're Catholic yeah. like me. Um, so I, I get that sense, but I don't know. I felt like they were trying to make him charming. And as I did research, it turns out that Andrew Cunanan Cunanan was disarmingly charming. Yeah. That was his that was his superpower. Whereas Darren Chris mm-hmm. just constantly seems pathetic. Does it not help, sorry, just quickly, does it not help that that scene happens in the first episode? That someone calls him out and says, I know you're lying. 
Like, yeah. And so we've got that in our head straight away that people can see it. And so we see it. And mm. so as you go in reverse order, it's like, well, none of this is convincing to me because you've already had two different people either roll their eyes at his story. Because Ronnie, Ronnie can't, like, even Ronnie's a good example. Like, he's believing it for a while and then he starts to get a bit sus when some things don't add up. Yeah. And it's just like, they kept leaning into the, oh, I don't believe you. Believe you, yeah. So how am I meant? Why would I be convinced that anyone's being. But it does seem this? like everyone around him is either like aggressively kind yeah. <laughs> or um, enjoys a bit of a power dynamic. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably why it's forgiven pretty regularly is that, I mean, his friends from high school, she's like, I've, I've, she's in a trapped marriage mm. and she needs that fun release at yeah. maybe at the cost of living a lie, but maybe she feels like she's living a lie. Sure. And same with, um, I guess, the older wealthy men like Lee and those other three guys. It's Norman. I Norman, don't the other guy. Yeah. Um, it, it's a power dynamic thing and they know maybe he is full of shit, but mm. they, it's, it's an exchange. It's a transaction. David is clearly s- such a way too kind for his own good. Yeah. And that's part of it. And Jeff is like the, an upstanding American Navy officer yeah. who's trying to look for, you know, the best in everyone, but is also a bit no nonsense. And that's where we can see him wear down. It seems like everyone around him is willing to, let that go. Yeah, look past it, yeah. Yeah, for the sake of, of themselves and what they want out of the relationship too. Mm. And the only place it doesn't work is with Versace. Yeah. I think as well there's a certain element of people don't think he's going to be a serial killer. Like you just yeah. because someone's a compulsive liar. Because and- you don't <laughs> expect them to just be a serial killer. Right. That, just, just usually you go, yeah. chances of a serial killer in this room, pretty low. Well, I think we've <laughs> all learned our lesson now. Yeah. If someone is a liar, <laughs> they will murder you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the point too. It's like you put up with it a little bit more. And like like David wasn't, uh, sorry, Jeff wasn't actively keeping his life before he got murdered. He was like, I owe him a favor. He was kind to me once. This is the mm-hmm. last time. Yeah. And yeah. then just... That was the yeah. time he got killed. Yeah, but Jeff, he, as yeah, a man of integrity, he, is trying to keep his word to someone who helped him out in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. really did love Andrew. I think, like he says that, he's like, "I, I do love you." Like, I, I thought we were actual friends when Andrew's like, "Can you pretend to give yeah. me these oh. shoes?" Which is just the most awkward oh. scene in the world. Because you, yeah, at that point, you see Jeff go, "Oh, it's no longer like maybe even." So I don't know if I got hints that Jeff knew up to that point that it was fabrications, but it was like, oh, there's something really off yeah. here. The fact that you, your need to be perceived a certain way is this strong that you're actually having this conversation with me right now. Yeah, but I, but I think there was a genuine friendship with Jeff and I think he believed it. And I think the same thing is true of David. These people, like you said, the overly good ones, truly did believe that he was this person. I think it was just the people who actually lived the life that mm. Andrew wanted to live who could see that, that it was a fabrication. Um, what do we think about the last couple of episodes then? Because I think we both, we all, sorry, both, we all agree that, <laughs> that, uh, that they were pretty good. I was a particularly big fan of episode eight. In terms Me of too. meeting, going back to his childhood and seeing his dad, who you really look like as being the one who flicked the first domino that started this whole thing. Ah, uh, oh yeah. And just it, well, sorry, no, actually set up the dominoes to be yeah. flicked and fall over yeah. more than anything. It explained so much, and it was nice because it was it kind of stuck to a time period, or at least a chronological time period for that one episode, which kept things. It in felt like an episode. Yeah, it felt like a full episode, mm-hmm. and it felt like we were, yeah building up to something instead of already knowing and then going back and jumping yeah. around. But it 
Yeah, it felt like if he just could have just killed his dad, he might have been done with it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> he, That's so much of the murders feel like he missed his opportunity to do that and like... Yeah, and it explains so much about Andrew. Like he's such, he's such a casual attitude towards violence mm. and lying and the appearance of of wealth or just appearance in general. Mm. Um sets up Andrew for the rest of the series and it's almost a pity that it comes so late. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's it was certainly nice to see cuz I remember he was telling David about, you know, he had the master bedroom and they brought him lobster at school and of course when he's telling David that you assume that it's bullshit he's Absolutely. Like, oh, and as, as does yeah. David that's when he realizes he's like oh you like can't be honest it's like I can't get any truth from you and then we find out that it's fucking true yeah. that yeah. he was given the master bedroom which is so beyond messed up uh, he was given a car before his older siblings when he wasn't able to drive like like it's a fascinating episode I think it was that yeah. episode that made me go, oh, Andrew Cunanan is actually interesting to me. He's not just like this kind of dead inside, I just want things, I want status kind of guy. American that I was, psycho light. Exactly, that I was struggling to understand. This episode made me go, oh, yes, okay, I, I, I yeah. see where someone like you comes from and that family dynamic is so toxic. That man is a terrible, terrible person. But it all makes mm. sense now, and it set up how Andrew could have could so easily lie. Not just because it's what he's conditioned to do, mm. but when he, when is it Modesto, his dad? Yeah. When he first leaves, it's it, even then is not the realization that everything has been a lie up to that point. It's only until he goes to the Philippines the and realizes that it's it snaps, and you see him go through the process of well, my entire life's been a lie, so why not just Keep doing that. Keep going. Yeah. yeah, it's much better than this reality of my dad sitting in like a little shack. Like this doesn't look fun at all. Yeah. So just it's like keep, I can keep, keep living it. as the person that I only know myself to be. Mm-hmm. And it make it puts everything else into perspective as to why he's doing it. It's not just a guy that snapped one day because he he wanted fame or yeah. he, you know. Yeah. It was his mechanism it's, for just navigating it, life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love the performance of the dad as well. Uh, so good. Yeah. He was fantastic. Excellent. Really good at like you can he's a compulsive liar of his own and he's he you know he's so smarmy. So smarmy and so good at just making sure that he gets what he needs out of a situation. Um And you can th- tell with the receptionist when he's getting caught by the FBI that he has that ability to make people like him around yeah. him. He's not a bad mm. guy. He's a bad guy, but he doesn't come across as an inherently bad person. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's people still willing to protect him. No, well, the idea that he got that interview in the first place and then was able to get that job at the, the yeah, f- like he that's totally off personality. He yeah. just found a way to to impress his way mm-hmm. into a job without the credentials. And at the all. fact that like he'll be like fired from one place and just go to another one until obviously like they get slowly like worse and worse mm. and worse, but they like live for years like that, just kind of off charm. Mm. Um, I, and yeah, and understanding because his motivations help to understand Andrew's motivations. Like, yes. like his motivations yeah. are clear in terms of, well, it's not super clear as to why Andrew is so special necessarily. I think there was a little yeah. bit of lip service paid to it. I think, yeah, my issue there was that there were like four siblings yeah. that we saw for 30 seconds and then yeah. never saw again. Never yeah. Um, but it, it's, 
reference that maybe his mum had postpartum depression or was yeah. dealing with depression during when Andrew was born and so Modesto had to be the primary caregiver and maybe mm. that is why he feels like Andrew's the most important because he's put so much of himself into Andrew. Yeah, but I think that's the thing. Like maybe the other kids were part of him and his wife, whereas someone who's like so narcissistic having this little human that it is yeah. he sees as just being his yeah. is what makes him important. But the, the mission he has for Andrew is fascinatingly clear. And there's a twisted logic to trying to make him you know, giving him the best possible life. Mm. It's just so yeah. grossly But also achieved. because Andrew, like, was quite a smart kid. Yeah. And he – and I'm not sure if that was because he was really, really pushed into doing things, but mm. he – apparently he could recite the encyclopedia when he was 10 years old. Yeah, like, wow. quite intelligent. And maybe I a combination sort of – wish showed that a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think a combination of that, maybe that natural ability and also Modesto projecting himself onto like a mini me of, of himself and combining that is probably what made Andrew more important than any of the other children. Sure. What did you think about the, um, the scene where they're going to bed? Cause they're apparently sharing the bed. Uh, now the, there was, that was interesting cause there was implications there, but it never really said, Oh, he was, you know, inappropriately. Yeah, I read doing somewhere where I think it was just like a comment somewhere, um, and the person was like, "Oh, they probably didn't like outright say that it was like a molesty type situation because Modesto is still alive yep. and clearly someone very money hungry and mm. would just be like, well, 'Well, I'm going to yeah. sue you now.' Yeah, um, but is there it is there any disturbing. truth to that that we're aware of, or is that a well? The truth is, Andrew did have the master bedroom. Yeah, um, and that. There was a, like a sleeping arrangement where mm. they like shared the master bedroom, I believe. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm. So, so that doesn't bode well. And there's also the scene where he's kissing Andrew's feet and just doting over him and being very physical oh, yeah. with him. Um, and it kind of all feeds into the, yeah, there's definitely a vibe that Andrew is um, not having a great childhood. <laughs> no, no. And I think it also like, bleeds into the fact that when he goes to that escort service and he's like, you know, mm. I, I'm very good with older, older men, men, much more. And the fact that yeah. he was like, he took a, like a 30 year old guy to the prom speaks yeah. like boundaries were not, you know, clear at mm. all. Um, parents, I'm sure allowed that sort of thing to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's the thing that Andrew knows how to do is to get money from older powerful men. And that's what he's, dad had been his whole life until yeah. the moment he'd realized it's a lie which is never really truly accepted and i think mm-hmm. that all feeds into the rest of the story and yeah. his murders um just something i wanted to come back to we were talking before about sort of andrew's murders being like him what he wasn't able to do with his dad right it reminded me of something actually came up this week. Did you hear about how the Golden State Killer was caught this week? Yes. Right. Have you read the book or no? But I have it ordered. It's coming. Yeah. yeah. I've been, my girlfriend and I've been reading it together actually since this because I was just like the in, Twitter blew up and I was how like, how romantic! Goes, <laughs> it's actually it's been really so great. exciting. Yeah. It's been great to do. We just see and read chapters to each other. It's actually oh, that's nice. oh, adorable. That's about, a, about a serial killer, but it's really interesting. Right. But the, serial I was reading, killer and rapist and rapist mm, bedtime story. But we were uh, they come out recently and talked about how. In one of the cases, he'd said, he'd said, I hate you, Bonnie, right? Mm. When during one of his attacks. And that was always something that they'd, that they thought must have had meaning. And since 
capturing this guy, they found out that his ex-fiance, I think it was, was Bonnie, right? And they were talking about, and this is the thing that came up, uh, I'll try and read this whole thing. It's a little bit out of context, but you understand. Most certainly, if he's making the statement, I hate you, Bonnie, while he's attacking other females, Holes said, he is what we call an anger relatory rapist, funneling his anger at another relationship onto a stranger. Mm, So, theoretically, this would be an anger retaliatory murder is what murderer is what yeah. Andrew would be. I just yes. thought it was, I just remember that term. I was like, oh, wait a second, I heard about this this week. Yeah. Can't wait for American Crime Story, they Golden should, State Killer. Well, HBO's just ordered a documentary. There's Ooh. already talk about turning it into a movie, and there's ever, I think, I was I was thinking that all week was like, this is American <laughs> Crime Story. Surely. Has to Surely. Be. Surely. I it think has like, to be. Um, I was looking up, yeah, the murders, just kind of like, because I was, when I was doing my story time, trying to get it in like chronological order to remember like who was killed first and yep. all that kind of stuff. It's tough. And then I read like how Lee Miglin actually died. Yeah, and it's yeah. different. Much isn't it? worse. Yeah, it's like yeah. he was he was still like bound and gagged, um, but he like he wasn't like crushed by bags of concrete. He was like it, stabbed it, like twenty was, like, times and almost his, decapitated. His throat was like hacked with like a saw. Yeah, it was really yeah. bad. But it's it was also there's I mean I, this is like the true crime how mm. how fictionalized is it? There's no evidence to prove that he ever really met Lee Miglin or had yeah. an interaction with him. It It's almost like he just needed the vehicle yeah. and knew that knew of Lee Miglin. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence to suggest that they ever had a relationship. Oh. The only, the only connection that people kind of point to is the fact that Andrew was a known escort yeah. and early that evening, um, Lee had had his receptionist drop off like it was either two thousand or four thousand dollars, so it kind of looked like it might have been like a hookup situation, Um, but nothing like there's no suggestion like that I can find that in reality they had any type of close connection. Yeah, um, yeah. and same for Versace. Same for there's really no evidence that they ever met at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, coming back to his dad for a second, it's in terms of his murders being um part of, of of what his his dad represented yeah with david and with jeff it's th- they obviously don't have a lot of money but it's that safe family mm-hmm. kind of stand-up guy all-american thing that andrew never had or wants to just replace in his life mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i think when we obviously he talks about David being like a home and then when he's like buying David a suit, yeah. he's talking about him being an all-American guy. Clearly, I think Andrew wants to possess David in a way that yeah. makes that like part of who he is as well. And I think obviously he loves Jeff, but seeing that Jeff probably fits more in that story with David than he does is too much. Yeah. And the idea of losing that is what sends him over the edge. Yeah. So I haven't done a heap of research into the actual facts of these murders or this story. It sounds like we don't actually know a whole lot about any of this, really. A don't lot really of this know is much just at all. Yeah, no, that's interesting. There's, isn't a, it? there's a lot of um, yeah speculation as to whether Andrew had actually met most of these people, mm. and even the the scenes that we see between him and David and him and Jeff are a, a lot of very private scenes. So there's just no way that we could possibly know mm. the intimacies of that relationship there and that's kind of again what took me out of this show 
was I was expecting a lot more true crime. Yeah. Especially when you feel like we could know more about the investigation and stuff like this. Yeah. Like these are things that all Versace be because <laughs> yeah. these are things they were public, like they're at law enforcement, there's gonna be records of this mm. stuff. And there's the Versace who lived a yeah. reasonably public life. There is mm, going yeah. to be more information out I mean, there. I mean, look people. at the title of the book that it's based on. It's about the, yeah, the biggest failed manhunt yeah. in American history. That's what it should have been about. That's where like so much of the documentation is. It's yeah. not in this like we don't know. Apparently, um, Jeff was killed after a fight that Jeff and Andrew had had. We don't know David's part in that. Yeah. We don't know if he went willingly. Like all of that is complete yeah. fiction. It, it might have elements of truth, but we genuinely don't know. And it's just that's really weird coming off the OJ season where there is just so much we know mm-hmm. to yeah. structure. Like, yes, there are scenes taking place in rooms, as we talked about, lots of talking in rooms, which is fabricated dialogue. No one can really confirm that mm. stuff to be true or not. But it, it the, serves the, framework, the point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the framework around it, the stuff we do know, helps to support that so much yeah. more. Yeah. And we don't have that. So it just all feels like speculation and fanfic, like, in a way, you know? It's just... <laughs> yeah. fan, and and yeah. I, fanfic, I know that's a, that's a bad term for it, but... That was something I wanted to talk about as well. How do we feel about this show, which spends so much time on Andrew Kinnanen, and we get to understand the show that part of what he wanted to do was be special. And now we've, I know we finished on yeah. like the plaque of him and just being this, you know, in a mausoleum. What do they call that? Yeah, just another, another nobody. On the wall. Except yeah. you've just made a freaking show about him. Yeah, it's called Giuliani <laughs> Versace. No one's talking about Giuliani Versace though. Yeah. Gianni it, Versace, sorry. It kind of reminds me of um, the, the two boys who were involved in Columbine. Yeah. Um, Dylan and Eric and how even now on the internet there are like fangirls who make fan oh. fiction and like it's like a uh, like is it Tumblr? Tumblr yeah. uh, they yeah. never yeah. sounded older. Is it the Tumblr? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not on there searching <laughs> on the <time laughs> for serial yeah. killer. No, but they they make up stories and mm. about them being with these guys and in their diaries that were found, it's like, especially Eric, that's what he wanted. He wanted Mm. the glory of it and it was to make a point and raise awareness. And that's always the struggle that I have with true crime is that how much the serial killer gets attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that that leads into the thing that I did like about the show, which is how much we saw the victims. Yeah. Especially like David or Jeff going through a real struggle Mm -hmm. in a contrast to Andrew in order for us to distance ourselves more and more from Andrew, maybe at the cost of a performance um, Mm. or yeah, intricacies of the character, but I think it paid off. When we're talking about like just slash fiction, we live in a world where the Venom trailer came out recently and people are talking about how they want to be roared by Venom, so I don't know anymore. I don't know. Really? Those teeth coming at you? <sighs> yep. Alrighty. Yep. I... <laughs> this is this is the world we live in. Hey, look, uh, as someone who used to write fan fiction, oh my um, goodness, <laughs> used to tell me more. <laughs> look, I don't publish anymore. Um, it's still on the computer though. No, uh, I I understand the desire to if you there's a story and you think there's more to add there. I get that, but this, yeah, like I think it's perfect what you're saying, Brod and Lauren, that to uh, 
do that to a story that is so violent and horrific and about someone that would fucking be rock hard knowing that they're making it puts a really weird tinge on what they're doing. It's, yeah. Especially just the ratio of the Versace side of this. Absolutely. Because we know there could be more there and more with the investigation. So, yes, he might be the most fascinating and interesting mm. parts of this story yeah. and charismatic and, yeah. or whatever. But, but the fact that we have seen with responsi- him responsi- responsibility. Sorry, go having on. conversations with Gianni Versace, which is what Andrew, the real Andrew Cunanan, would have loved or would yeah. have wanted. That's what he desired. Yeah. Like we have, and they clearly fantasies on his part, but where they are like relating to one another and having these special moments, it's like, Oh, that this is a man that he kills that he did not know that he wanted to be a part of his life, and now he is. Yeah, he's very strange. Yeah, he's irrevocably yeah. tied to that. Yeah. Now, um, we need to keep moving because we're going to run out of time. Otherwise, uh, let's talk about Gianni Versace though, <laughs> <laughs> and just the the Versace family in general and that side of things. Uh, what did we think of? The performances. What do we think about the story? There? I loved the performances. Great. Every Penelope time, Cruz. yeah. Every time Penelope <laughs> Cruz came on screen, I was like, "Yes, show me more." Um, uh, when I first watched it, I <laughs> when she started speaking as Donatella, and I was like, "What is she doing?" Mm. And then I watched but, a clip of Donatella. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, she is Donatella. That's how she speaks." Yeah. Um. I. I mean, I think both the representation of Donatella and Gianni. Amazing. Spot the on. guy looks so they much look like him. Yeah, identical. Great, yeah, isn't it? Did they yeah. do some like nose work or anything with him? I like doing no, any that's prosthetics? His face, but obviously they like <laughs> shaved his head back and yeah. like, gave him stubble. No, stuff. it worked. It just it's a yeah. it's a but really good. I looked good... at photos of him normally. He's fucking gorgeous. Oh he yeah, is yeah. Stunning. Yeah. I thought even in the show I had a hard like he's yeah hard on he's a, well he's a han- he's, <laughs> he's a I would argue a more handsome version like Gianni Versace very resembling that but also just a oh, slightly yeah, more handsome than that yeah, yeah. Uh, than he was in real life and it's like it's he's magnetic on this mm. in the show he's great to watch yeah I thought I mean obviously we've already covered the ground that it's not about Versace um, but the first two episodes. Delving into Donatella's position in all of this and her having to just be this pillar of strength who is just crumbling on the mm. inside was such it's such a good performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when she comes into a room and she's just adjusting, she knows where everything is. Yeah. She's, she's so, so eagle-eyed. particular. Yeah. Um, and Gianni is this like almost beacon of light, almost a little too much, just to mm-hmm. like directly contrast Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, you mean he's perfect in every way? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he's always he's always doing the right thing, yeah. and I'm not. I'm he's not sure if that is and like a confidence. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that was like exactly like mm. true to. I don't know that too much about him specifically, um, but just a really pure, excellent performance. Yeah, I think what I really liked, yeah, in those first like couple of episodes where we see Donatella and. Ricky Martin's character, whose name I Antonio. Antonio, thank you. Dealing with the aftermath of that and like the company is now like what is going to happen. Like yeah. I found that stuff really fascinating, which is why I kind of wish it was more on the manhunt side, so we can kind of see a little yeah. bit more of that time period. Yeah, but absolutely. towards the end when like we're getting to like the real crux of the season and we've gone back in time and watching Donatella and Gianni talk about 
you know, he's he's sick and what's going to happen with the it's fashion a, house. I'm like, I don't, already covered. Yeah, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the fashion house at this point because yeah, we've seen so five much people has die. happened. I'm ready for like the climax of this show. I yeah. was, I just actually just wish there was more attention paid to those things. They feel like little cameos. They start an episode and we see yeah. It's like, Gianni why am I here? His, this yeah. wasn't the story you were telling me before. Why yeah. am I here now? Yeah. And they're just like little, like the, there's a bunch of stuff about Andrew. Let's show what's the version of this. That's much wholesome, better, wholesome mm, and healthy yeah. in the Versace family. And they have their little thing. And yes, Gianni's sick and he's, you know, overreacting about things, and but he's also helping Donatella to become, you know, the future leader of the Fudgy House. Or we go back and see his super supportive mother, who who did all the right things yeah. to make him to foster what Literal, made him that's special. Mother. That's right? what I mean in terms of making Gianni this character. Who I mean, in contrast to Donatella and their relationship, they complement each other really perfectly in mm. terms of. Uh, running a business and who has to kind of be the softer one and who has to really get stuff done. Mm. But in terms of Versace, in contrast to Andrew, which I feel like is what the season was really trying to push hard, mm. he's almost saint-like and he d- it's like he's not a real person towards the end of the series because he is just given all these opportunities out of love and there's no mm. hardship. Yeah, I think that's partly, unfortunately, because they just are such a small part of each episode. It might be yeah. five or ten minutes. If you'd actually given him more time, you might have been able to ex- explore nuance in that, what mm. made him more of a person than, as you said, yeah. a saint. And actually, Because I, I could see a version of this narrative where it is... Like it would be, you'd have to fudge the time periods and stuff, obviously, but try and show parallels between why Gianni Versace was special versus why um, Andrew wasn't, but was being told he was, told he was right. Mm. And there is maybe the whole thing need to be shorter. Maybe, I don't know. There's, there was something there. It just feels like they tapped into, they really went down one road and abandoned the rest and they've, they struggle yeah. because of it. It's yeah. hard to articulate because it's all speculation. What if, what if, what if? But mm, yeah. I know I really felt that. And the Antonio stuff for me is a, is a really good example of why you're giving me this bit at the end of the season, which is showing his attempted suicide. Which yeah. never happened, but yeah. Which, right. So, <laughs> which didn't... Never been reported ha- to happen. There's no inkling that it happened. So, yeah. why are we going there? Because you didn't earn the right to even go there anyway. Mm. Like, really- you're taking a shortcut... And lying to do it. It's so frustrating. It really felt like the show was pushing Antonio into the shadows as much as he, like, his whole point was that he wanted to be open and that that they had been together for so long and they were going to do the interview together, but the show kind of didn't care that he was there for the rest of the time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Like, they weren't even giving him an opportunity to be a character, let alone Mm. represent the thing that they needed him to represent. So, this show, part of the frustration, it seems to be committing the crimes that it's condemning. Like... Oh, you know, like absolutely. with Antonio and with Andrew, you're giving Andrew all the attention. He doesn't deserve it. Antonio's mm-hmm. being pushed in the shadows. Well, fuck you, show. I don't yeah. want the, what are you doing? Yeah, and just yeah. the amount of times that they're, it's brought up, I think about three times. I think it's Ronnie, Jeff and Andrew who all say something about um, like no one's going to care unless you're, you're famous, yeah. essentially. Unless you're seen, you won't yeah, be seen, unless, yeah, or no one's going to care about these deaths until it's someone who's rich and famous and yeah. that's like the entire problem that's that I have point. with this show <laughs> is that it's about Versace, but it's not at all about Versace. Yeah. So it's you about could, everyone else. You could be correcting this, talking about the botched investigation we keep talking about. To, yeah. yeah. What a missed opportunity, right? I'm frustrated by this. It is a very – because there are so many – 
parts of the show that I enjoy. There are a lot of good performances. It is a very interesting story, but the 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 structuring and what it chose to talk about as its central theme mm, yeah. was yeah. so and it didn't feel like it it was tied off at the end yeah. either. It left so kind of open-ended in terms of nothing got resolved other than yeah. Andrew's what, death. What were we doing the whole time yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. I think that's why I enjoyed it week to week, watching it for that high drama that I was watching for, for the aesthetic and I was loving that. Um, so I think it can be a really, really enjoyable watch, but that's separate from examining it at from like a critical stamp, a crit- yeah. standpoint where you're like, well, let's actually examine the function of the story. <laughs> and I, it, it doesn't function as well as it should considering the content. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that we want to dive into or touch on before we start wrapping this up? I mean, it's hard because we usually Ooh. do the podcast from character to character to character. Yeah. But so much of it is just, Andrew. Andrew. We've spent that an hour talking about yeah, Andrew. And hard. everyone is in relation to Andrew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did want to shout out one performance. Yes. Lee McGlynn's wife. I think yeah. it's Judith Light. Yeah. yeah. Performance Amazing. of the series, in my opinion. Um, yeah, almost even like functioning in a similar way to Donatella, but kind of doing it even better. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, she was incredible. Yeah. And also kind of our only way to understand Lee McGlynn mm. in terms of a, a woman who is such a public figure and is also in the time if the show is talking about um homophobia and not caring if it's it's if it's someone gay who is dying Mm. with these allegations coming out about her husband not denying them but also not standing by anything just standing by him and him as a good person well he died he was murdered yeah and that that doesn't discount that their Mm. their whole relationship and their business and then her having to go and get back to work like the mm. next few days um, yeah. and talk and just being this representation for like love and power and wealth and everything mm. that sh- the show is standing for, but not being able to crumble as, as a person who has just had their husband murdered yeah. was absolutely the standout character for she, me. Yeah. yeah Her character is incredibly dignified throughout, but I love that, you know, so often we do see the story of like the older man who, you know, has boys on the side or whatever. Mm. And so the marriage is a sham. What I loved is that that was not the story that they were Mm. telling here. They had a partnership. They had a genuine love. They'd spent their lives together. That's what what was important. Yeah. Like they built each other up. They were true partners and, it doesn't matter what romantic or sexual dynamics they had. Yeah. That wasn't the point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. It's, she's such a lay character and performs so well that you feel all of those layers, even mm-hmm. if what she's saying is only one thing. The Amazing performance. It really is. You're 100% right. And she only really got that one she gets episode a- and then a little bit at the end. Yeah. But all of those things were felt rewarding. She, she, gets, had, she had a great story. Yeah. She gets so many like power monologues of... Yeah what it means to be in a relationship, but also what it means to be the head of a company, which I feel like Donatella, I mean, she's not the head of the company at that point, but she doesn't, she only get a chance, gets a chance to show her anxieties. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas. And her insecurities. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas we see for a second, Marilyn, not even break down, just have a little bit of a cry when the police officer asks her why she hasn't, been emotional yeah and we can understand that she's got stuff to do and it seems like she's the only person 
especially in the investigation, who's trying to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone is is very emotionally attached, but she's the only person kind of thinking with their head through all of it and it really keeps her above water. Yeah. Can I can I throw a conspiracy theory out there a little Ooh. bit? Yes. The the nine episode count is weird to me. It is weird. It feels I like... Ch- I literally I checked it was meant the- to be 10. Yeah, I checked the week after because I thought there was going to be another episode and I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, it's it's done now. I it actually ten- thought it finished at episode eight and I was like, well, that seems like a strange <laughs> point. <laughs> and, well, eight would have made sense. 10 would have made sense. They tend to happen in those sort of even numbers. You get that 20, 21, 22, 23 thing. Yeah. Things can diverge a little bit towards the end. But the... It, it, yeah, nine seemed weird. It, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if there was another episode or things were structured a little bit differently. Maybe there was more Versace. Maybe there was more Antone, Antony, Antonio, Antonio. Antonio, thank you. Antonio. Antonio. <laughs> in terms, and maybe like Ricky Martin wasn't bringing it for performance wise, so they decided mm-hmm. to scrap it or something. I, there's part maybe of it that Maybe there was wonders, a law enforcement episode in there somewhere. Ma- maybe there it was some like stuff. It seems like you could have spent 50 minutes on the law enforcement, mm. and at least. <laughs> maybe there were some implications that people didn't like and they had to cut it because of legal reasons or something yeah. like that. It makes I mean, me one of those things. That, yeah. So in the first episode, we have the lady who works at the pawn shop who is that famous actress with that amazing voice, she plays the bad chicken Casper. I cannot remember her name. The bad chicken Casper. Wow. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm taking the Well, she scared me as a young child, so that's like <laughs> the role she will always. I'll I'll, I'll look it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just type in bad chicken Casper and see what comes up. Oh no, it's just Casper mattresses. Oh god, sponsor us, please sponsor us. You sponsor everyone else. Um, but she was like, just you know. Quite well known. Yeah, you're what are you doing? <laughs> sorry, I'm just looking up Casper's IMDb. But sorry, it's time to concentrate on five things at once. But so there's that. And then we also have Dyer from Orange is the New Black, who's yes. part of the law enforcement. Yeah. But so we have this story with the pawn shop lady who cannot who reported Andrew Kunan well, like five days before Versace was killed and stuff. And they're hiring actors that we all know. Well, I know from Casper. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of think that there probably was some stuff there that they didn't go into, like all yeah. of that bungled stuff. There were too many names for it to mm. just disappear very quickly. Yeah, like um, she was in like a scene and a half. It was, and she yeah. had maybe like two five lines. lines. Yeah. yeah, it was like what? And it just and all that was said was like Kathy I, Moriarty. Thank you, IMDb. What's her character in Casper? <laughs> Carrigan. I don't remember. I remember yeah, the, the famous Carrigan. The famous Carrigan. I remember the she's three not ghosts. a ghost. She's she's like trying to buy the house or destroy the house. Is this the oh. one with Christina Ricci? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Good Christina one, Ricci yeah. had a crush on her when I was right age. Still do really. As an older <laughs> Christina Ricci, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> she's oh pretty, really? She's pretty cute these days. Uh, the what are we talking about? Which um, uh, is on the controversy of it, and maybe things getting cut because it was. It, are not deemed inappropriate, but yeah, surrounding the controversy and especially how the Versace family has reacted to things mm. not being true or fabrications, yeah. it kind of like almost saves itself in that the episode with like the Bell's dress. I think it's yeah. like episode seven or yeah, um, where Donatella says yeah, well, good or bad, like people are talking about us, and that's great. Mm. So I kind of don't believe all of this hype around the Versace family not wanting this to go ahead because it feels like definitely something that they would I they'd th- want people to be talking about. It'd be more the law enforcement side of things that I wonder whether there's if the show is suggesting things that weren't done, that mm. that could be like 
an inaccurate portrait that the, from the yeah, law enforcement might or the government or the police or whatever you want to say mm. might have found that like objectionable yeah. to but say what that. What I find interesting what about the story is that while we have all these fabric fabrications mm. um, about you know Andrew and his relationships and all of that stuff and the actual crimes. When I was doing my research, the most fascinating stuff about this entire story is the true stuff about what law enforcement did and did not do. Absolutely. There's so much there to mine and, and it's actual facts that it, it it's so weird not to include it yeah. or include There's, it in it like like half a second of a shot. There's a documentary series coming out. I think one episode has been released. I can't remember what it's called, but it's on Oxygen. Um, mm. And it's the documentary equivalent of this series. Oh, cool. All right. So that's going to be really fun to watch and get a bit more perspective on. Yeah, nice. Is this on purpose? Do we keep releasing the the dramatised yeah. version and the documentaries within like a couple well, of months of each other? Well, this season was book, meant to be yeah. about Hurricane Katrina. This and one? Yeah. Yeah, season two was meant to be about Hurricane Katrina, which I think they're which now turning now season into three. season three. So maybe something was about to be made or whatever it might be. And they decide to... And they're like, well, let's mix it up and do it this way. Hmm. Interesting. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Does anyone have any side notes, any little uh, details or anything they want to talk about? Because I don't. I took surprisingly few notes. Uh, but so you're the show. one who yeah. usually takes all the notes. I don't actually. I took nothing this season. I think that says a lot about my just, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling compelled to, to say anything because the show kept, I really feel like the reverse structure screwed me over. I don't yeah, know. Just enough. took away surprises or intrigue. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like the show was pretty blatant in what it was, it was yeah. telling you. Mm. Um, so there wasn't that much room for uh, interpretation in a lot yeah. of things, especially Agreed. in performances. But yeah, Judith Light stand-up performance, Agreed. David's performance, really sweet as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of supporting characters, I thought, overshone our main cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to come in and bat for what's the name of the guy who played Darren Andrew? Chris. Darren Chris. I'm going to come in and bat for him a little bit. I I thought I liked what he was doing. I think. I think it might. I think it's less his performance and more if that was too much. I think. I think that he got the, what the director wanted out of him. If that makes sense. Yeah, I probably. There like- was a, a moment where I was like, "I hate what you're doing," but then I was like, "I'm sure this is direction." It was when um, Norman has asked him to live with him in that big fabulous house yeah. as like his interior designer slash fuckboy, mm. um, and. He's standing on the balcony and he's just like trying to be the most fabulous thing in the world. And he's like, oh, I wish they could see me now. And Norman's like, yeah. oh, who? And he's like, everyone. I mean, what do you and mean? And then like zoom out. What do you mean to do with that line? Well, that's what like, I... That's, well, there's a, I know, yeah. I, I disagree. I think there's a little bit more subtlety that you could play in that. You don't have to play it like Lex Luthor, <laughs> which he does. Sure. But like you said, it's pro- that was probably direction. They wanted that to be a big moment so, and uh, that's yeah. how you do that. If that was too much, you come in, cool, great, can you just give me one a little bit less and then you choose that in the edit. Like at some stage. Yeah. Like if he yeah. had like Someone been like, I wish they could see me now and Norman's like, look oh, at me now, oh, dad. And, and, <laughs> and he could just be like, you know, do like a smile that is actually quite sinister and just be like, oh, everyone, you know, like just kind of downplay the fact that yeah. he's evil. <laughs> yeah. But again, this is the problem of going reverse. He's yeah. evil yeah. at the beginning and just suddenly gets less, less and less. One uh, last thing as well. Yes. The, the, his friend, Lizzie, mm. and characters like Ronnie, and I mean all the police, um, 
Like, what, what what's they? the point? Why? Why were they there? Lizzie in particular frustrates me because she's in that first episode. She's mm-hmm. one of the first people that we see interacting yeah. with him. You and really then we just going to see her again. We just kind of get the first time they meet. And then yeah. it's like, and what she, happened to anything in between yeah. then? And she immediately tells him, like, all that she's about. Yeah. 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 Her entire... And and Ronnie doesn't really act as anything but a soundboard for Andrew until the end where he reads out the theme of the show. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, Excuse I feel me, like the, yeah. Lizzie yeah. could have been, like, a really fascinating perspective to get because she has known him the longest. Yeah. That's what and I And she has seen of. him through all of these different periods. So, she definitely yeah. understands that he's lying. Oh, yeah. So, then to get to the point where, like, she is on camera reading a letter being like, you are the godfather yeah. to my children. Which like, is real. That's that could have given clip. us another perspective, another dynamic of Andrew. Could, did, we, did we ever see him interact with a child at all? No. Like, that would have been interesting considering <laughs> what his dad was like. And yeah. he's, she's talking about him being a godfather. Maybe that would have been. Yeah. Mm. And all the other siblings. Of, like, wh- wh- where were they for the his mum? Because <laughs> she was by herself yeah. in the end. Dark shit. Yeah. Uh, least favourite and favourite episodes. What was your least favourite episode, Damask? I'm going to go with episode seven, Ascent. Ascent. Which is um, like the reverse order certainly hurt this episode for me. I mean, Pe- Penelope Cruz is amazing in it. It's the one with the dress. Yeah, it's it's so much of, and it's I I mean I love the dynamic. I would have liked to watch a show about uh, the House of Versace. I'm not opposed to that, but the place that they put it and the importance they put on this story that they have seemingly abandoned uh, was very odd. And because because we were kind of getting to the climax of the season, I was like, why are we here now? I was frustrated to watch it. I think. Um, so, yeah, episode seven, just because of the timing and the structure, turns it into a poor episode. I don't think it's a poor episode in and of itself. Yeah. What about you, Lauren? Yeah, I'd agree. I almost completely forgot about that episode, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, it's easy to forget, yeah. Yeah, and almost uh, even, is it episode five or six, where he's at Norman's house, just because... That was my second is, I think it is probably, if that episode... If we hadn't had the two previously, mm. I would have enjoyed it much more because we we're seeing the relationship between David and Jeff mm-hmm. and Andrew, and Andrew's been thrown into a world where so many different lies are all meeting. Yeah. But it just came so late in the game that I didn't I didn't really care. Yeah, because we have like House by the Lake, which is the episode where David's on the run with him, and then we have Don't mm. Ask, Don't Tell, which is obviously Jeff's episode, which yeah. is a great episode, and then we have these two, which is Descent and Ascent, which seem like such a pause that it's like, yeah. oh, okay, I thought we were Could had momentum maybe- to build into something, but now we're just taking a break, and it feels a little strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I struggled to find one um, because my feelings for a lot of these episodes in the middle of the same. Mm. So even House in the Lake didn't land with me great. There are moments yeah. in that Shocking which do. Shocking to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but there are, there are moments in that that do, but they're also just, I don't know, I felt like I was already like, I understand this already, why are we doing this still? And just, again, it comes down to the structure, just hurts it so mm. much. I'm going to go with episode seven because I agree with you. That's probably where it's at its worst because... It just feels hamstrung by it. It's just the, the epitome of what, how the structure yeah. screwed over the show. What about favorite episodes, Mask? Mine is episode four, which is House by the Lake. <laughs> I was... The first time I watched this, I was so stressed. Like, I could not look away, but I also did not want to watch this episode. Right. I remember, like, and because mm. I knew we were going to do this for the podcast, I was like, 
I'm gonna have to rewatch this episode. And it wasn't it definitely wasn't as bad the second time round, but the first time I was so compelled. I was so worried. I think the performance by the guy who plays David is incredible. The entire so time sweet. I was just like, please don't kill his dog. Oh my god, please don't oh, kill yeah. his yeah. dog. Oh my goodness. Um just the dynamic of like after we see Andrew smash Jeff into pieces and then David is just there and he's in shock and they have a shower together and I am so scared the yeah. entire time. Yeah. Um I I think this is a point where we really truly understand the darkness of Andrew. He's not just someone who will, you know, run up and shoot someone like we see with Gianni Versace. He will slaughter someone in a very personal, brutal way and then act straight away like nothing's happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, like, I loved all that. I see the manipulations we see in Andrew in that. I was so connected to David. I was so stressed for him. Yeah, like, I it was the most engaged I think I was the entire season. Okay. So, it's, I mean, it's not my favourite, but it's got to be my favourite, you know. It's not your, oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. right. The, it's awful to watch. It was incredibly stressful, but I think it was the best episode for me. Just a little detail I really liked mm. in, when it comes to the law enforcement side of things, actually, in that episode is when they, Go to the ha- go to the apartment, and they find the body. And they're like, "Oh, we have to leave now because we have a warrant." Yeah, and it's like that is fucked up. What? Yeah. That's backwards. But also the way that they're just like brown hair must be David, and they're like, "No, David had blonde hair." And they're like, mm, "Then brown hair must be Andrew." It's like, yeah, there's no more investigation to that. Exactly. Is that all you're doing? Once again, fascinating <laughs> so that we didn't come into yeah. that more. That that. Cop so that character. I want to know more about him mm. and how. Oh my gosh, what, yeah. so, like, was he held in high regard? Was he yeah. like uh, an absolute? Yeah, like I just fact. Yeah. Why we don't explore those people yeah. anymore? I understand. Crazy. Lauren, what about you? Favorite episode? Favorite episode. A tie between episode three because um, Marilyn Miglin, just the best character yeah. of the season, in my opinion. Um, and episode. Eight, mm-hmm. Andrew's childhood. Yeah, that was yeah, for reasons we have already discussed. Mine is also episode eight. Four reasons yeah. we've already discussed. It's just when I was like, oh my God, this this is such an interesting story. Mm, yeah. And I'm really glad this is here. I even like where it's placed. It just feels like we got here the exact wrong way. But yeah. it was it was it made it put so much stuff in context so quickly and, and it was retroactively made it a bit better. And it yeah. was really heartbreaking to see and i it's it's kind of the first time you do have sympathy for andrew and you want him to be okay because he is just this child that doesn't know any different yeah he doesn't have any other friends to our knowledge he's just Mm. got this dad he doesn't even have his siblings and you just want him to be okay but it also does set up his motives for everything else i just think it comes yeah at a weird spot yeah it's hard to navigate where that episode is best served. I think mm. in the position it is now, it's probably the most responsible way to do it. Yeah. Um, with the reverse timeline. Yeah. yeah with, oh, even if even if we had like it chronological and then we go back to- I 100% agree. Flashback to I would keep it where it is. I would still just have the rest of the story play out in chronological order. As I said, start when he's at the pharmacy. Yeah. I, re- I really believe that it would work that way. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um. How do we feel, just before we wrap up, how do we feel about American Crime Story as an anthology series right now? Are we looking forward to the third season? Do we have concerns because this season was a step down for us? Or I think the th- third season might give me an indication of what this show is really going to be. Yeah. I think yeah. season one of it was of such a high standard. Um, 
in across the board in writing, performance, direction, that it really understood the nature of what makes true crime really fascinating. Mm. This season, season two, was much more about the drama. It was a lot of it was completely fiction. So it was a different show. So I think if season three, depending on which side of either it's more like season one or season two, I, th- I think it's going to be the deciding factor whether whether or whether it's going to be completely different and then we get used to that, that every season is going to be told in a very different way. It's interesting what you're saying mm. about true crime as well because it's the thing that made the OJ Simpson trial work so well is that it was by nature of how it was covered in the media, it was already a soap opera. So mm, to yeah. play it like a over-dramatized or a melodrama made sense because that's kind of where it was placed in mm-hmm. in reality for everybody yeah. as well. Whereas this, that might be true to some degree, but it's way more icky when it's you're fabricating so much yeah. and it's about yeah. and, and it's so heavily placed on the serial killer. You can argue that OJ is pushed to the side in the OJ story, but that was kind of the point and mm. they were talking about other things. Well, I mean, they even yeah. have that line in that season of that like writer slash reporter guy who's like, if this was in like an airport novel, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't accept it. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, well, that's that would never happen, which yep. is like when the judge, uh, the cop turns out to know the judge, like it talks about his wife and stuff. You're like, you wouldn't believe that because it makes the world seem really small, which is yep. something we have problems with with a lot of stories. But it happened in the case of O.J. Simpson, which is insane. But they seem to want to have that same, like everything kind of is so cohesive and works together. So they've just fabricated things. Like we have people who are all at the same party who mm. Andrew then goes and kills, like, or that he yeah. knows everyone when really we don't know that at well, all. I was going to say, the, at the same party bit doesn't worry me. You can take that and shorthand it, but mm. if that we don't think that he even knew this person really in real life, it, well, that's yeah. po- more complicated. If they were, if he was meeting one person at one party, another person at another party, yeah, put them in the same party. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. But if we don't know they're meeting at all, well, yeah. then you're you're complicating yeah. things it's a bit the, too much. Like that real sense of fascination of wanting to know more about true crime, wanting to know what really happened. Yeah. But we yeah. don't have that sense with this because we know that what we're seeing probably isn't what really happens. So you lose that fascination with it. What about you, Lauren? How are you feeling about the series at the moment? It's Ryan Murphy always kind of worries me. <laughs> he always seems to trail off. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, American horror story started off so strong i think asylum was my favorite season and then after that it was like a strong decline Mm. in in my opinion of it 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 tries to do so many things at once that it doesn't really achieve doing the just one thing that it sets out to do Mm -hmm. um and i'm yeah also a little bit concerned for katrina because it had it was meant to be season two and now it's suddenly been pushed to season three Mm. and maybe that's a reason why this series felt a little not unfinished but a bit loose ended, yeah. Because it, me- it might have been a bit quicker to to make. Well, that's that's possible, right? That might be a reason yeah. we can look back and go, okay, season two was sort of rushed in production. Maybe that's a reason. Yeah. Maybe Katrina will be better for that. Maybe Katrina. That's, that, what that's I'm the, gives me hope, mm. probably. Um, but yeah, it's always the concern that that they're going to throw in so many storylines that only very loosely overlap and then fabricate these joins between characters to create a contrast of light and dark and mm. that that we lose the true crime aspect of it and it just becomes a version of American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah. I think it's leaning down that path. Yes. We will see. Yeah, it feels like that. Season three is going to be really important. I'm feeling 
This is the burden of a really good season one. True Detective had this problem as well. Mm-hmm. And it happens in like music as well. If you have a great first album, expectations yeah. are so high for that second album. Album They're really hard to reach that yeah. height and sustain. Bands that can actually do that are really rare. Because you've so put everything you've got into this first mm-hmm. thing. Yep. And then you have such a limited time to make the second one. Like similarly to something like Stranger Things where yeah. it's almost like, oh, well, the first time we saw it was such a shock and a pleasant surprise. Yeah. But the next time we see it, we already know what we're going to get. Well, and we it doesn't live up to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I am cautiously optimistic is what I'll say okay. is where I'm placed. Yep. Mm. All right, let's wrap things up. This has been another one. We're getting good at these long episodes. <laughs> but it was a fun discussion. I think everything was really good. I really liked our review overall. Thank you for being on the show, Lauren. I uh, thought you brought some great stuff to the show. Oh, thanks. This was Thank fun. You. And, um, and Off Topic, Off Topic was fun as well. Yeah, stuff is. Long episodes. <laughs> no one was complaining, Brad. <laughs> you brought it up. Yeah, this is my own security, right? I'm the Donatella Versace of this podcast. Also, I don't know what you're talking about. We've always done like two hour long podcasts, so... Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com, by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com, by tweeting us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Lauren, can people reach out to you? or I'm getting off social media because I'm better than everyone else. So Good call. Thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws, for his logo and design work. Thank you to Jordan Calavis for our theme song and Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in the show notes. If you enjoyed what we're doing here, we'd really appreciate sharing this podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Next week, we'll be back to talk about Riverdale Season 1. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.